the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle of southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chick, Annie, along with my erudite and oh-so-handsome co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. <laughs> Good afternoon, Curtis, and I did that without screwing it up this week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you did a great job. Um, I'm telling you, it's um, overcast, and I'm just waiting. I guess it's overcast because what's going on in D.C. And hopefully, vision tonight will have some sunshine here tomorrow in Florida. What do you think? Oh, I'm crossing my fingers, crossing my fingers. We've got so much that is going on. Some great guests going to start off the show with our RNC spokesperson returning, and we love this lady, Gunnery Sergeant Jesse Jane Duff, USMC, retired. Hoorah, Jesse. She'll be joining us. It's all Women's Day, so you're going to feel a little crowded out here, Curtis. Usually I got more men than women on, but the women are ranking today. We got Angel Mom, Agnes Gibney. She's running for Congress in California's 31st District. She's going into her primary in just a little while, uh, just about a month from now, I believe, and she is unopposed in the primary. So she will face head-to-head with the incumbent uh, Democrat out there. And we're going to keep our fingers crossed for her. And then we're going to close off the show with Dr. Meg Meeker. Uh, She's got a book out there called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. And, man, it was a really, really good book. And she put so much stuff out there. I was like, well, this is going to be one of these touchy-feely, feel-good books. But she hit it right between my eyes. So it's going to be a lot of fun talking to her. We've got so much going on. And this is Super Bowl weekend. And uh, our friend Daphne Barak and her uh, companion, Bill Ganasti, were supposed to be in Mar-a-Lago today. And she had invited my husband and I to join them. Uh, and unfortunately, I found out that she took a huge fall. Uh, she lost a lot of blood. She was in the hospital for a few days. Um, she's got stitches up the wazoo. And she is told by her doctor, don't do anything. Don't travel anywhere. Just take it easy and recuperate. So our prayers go out to Daphne, hoping for a swift recovery. We love you, girlfriend. Hope you're listening in. Um, yeah, we wish why her well. I think Mar-a-Lago is that there was an attempt at an attack today, just this, this early this morning, not early, late this morning, about 11, 11.30. Uh, two black SUVs went and rammed the security barriers, went through two security barriers. The cops had a shootout with the SUV. Yeah, and there are two individuals in custody. So they've got the bad guys. But there was an attempted attack on Mar-a-Lago just today. Now, add that in, I, when I talk about Patriot Foods and I talk about the political climate and the unrest, we've got the attacks right now in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, we've got the uh, coronavirus, or coronavirus, whatever it is, outbreak where people are just not going out, so they need food stockpiled. But in New York City today, New York City PPA had posted a video, an Antifa video, that says, F the police. They're going to go after uh, Madison Square Garden, 
the main train and subway hub. I'm sorry, Madison, oh no, Grand Central Station. And they're going to jump the turnstiles. They're going to confront the cops. They're looking to commit violence. Someone's going to get hurt because of Antifa today, tonight. They call it the J31 because today is January 31st. It is heating up out there, folks. So please be careful. Be aware of your surroundings. I mean, it is scary. It is getting really scary, Curtis. It is. Hey, Annie, isn't um, is it next week that they have the um, caucus? Is it next the week? Caucus week is next week. Yep. I believe it is wow. next week. Yep. Let the games begin. Matter of fact, uh, I, I believe it's Tuesday. I know everyone's going to be making sure they're out there on Monday and. It's either Monday or Tuesday next week. So it is getting toxic out there, guys, really. Jeez. I don't know what's going to hit us between the eyes next. And we still got this impeachment BS going on. And we're going to be talking to Jesse Jane about that. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Anyway, I want to thank everyone that's listening in, whether or not you're watching over on Facebook or here on Blog Talk Radio in the chat. It will be going up onto YouTube later on tonight. But if you listen to the show, know that we do dedicate each and every show to a fallen hero or heroes. And today's dedication is going out to two chief warrant officers, second grade, that were killed in a helicopter crash while serving during Operation Freedom's Sentinel on November 20th of 2019. It goes out to Chief Warrant Officer Second David Nadel and Kurt Fuki, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but I'm going to do it the best I can, Fukigama. And this is from Stripes.com, written by J.P. Lawrence and John Vandiver. It reads, one of the Army pilots killed in a helicopter crash on Wednesday, November 20th of 2019, got married just eight months ago. His co-pilot was married with two children and had just begun to have success as a bodybuilder. The Pentagon identified two Fort Hood-based soldiers, Chief Warrant Officer 2, Kurt T. Fukigama, Jr., and Chief Warrant Officer 2, David C. Nadel, as the service members killed in the crash. Both soldiers died while on a mission in Logar Province, where the helicopter crashed while providing security for troops on the ground, the Pentagon said in a statement. Fukigama, 25, was from Hawaii. Natal, 33, was from Texas. Both soldiers were Apache helicopter pilots assigned to the 1st Battalion, 225th Aviation Regiment, 1st Air Cavalry Brigade, 1st Cavalry Division. Fukigama's wife, Mackenzie, called her spouse a strong, courageous soldier and loyal husband. The two met on a blind date, and the Army pilot's determination made him stand out, she said in a phone call. Fukigama knew starting in high school that he wanted to be a pilot, his wife said. In flight school, he was known as a diligent student who wanted to be the best at what he did, friends said. He wanted a challenge. He loved his country, and he always said he was willing to die for his country, a tearful Mackenzie said. 
The two married in the spring, and she said on a Facebook post that their time together was the best month of my life. In the last messages the couple shared, Fukigama told his wife that he loved her and was going to call her soon. The last thing he sent me was a heart, she said. Nadal entered active duty in the Army in 2013. Nadal and Fukigama were awarded the Bronze Star Medal and both deployed to Afghanistan in October of 2019. Nadal had recently taken up bodybuilding and proudly announced on Facebook that he had lost 40 pounds and placed second in his first ever competition. He could have made all the excuses about not having time or doing operations in the field without healthy food to eat, but instead he chose to change his life, the organizers of the competition said in a post online. Linda Nadal Rodante, who identified herself as Nadal's aunt, said on a Facebook post that the soldier was married with two children, a boy and a girl. Our heartfelt condolences go to both families and their friends during this difficult time, said Lieutenant Colonel Adam Camarero, the soldier's battalion commander, who added in a statement that Fukigama and Nadal will always be remembered as part of the heroic legacy of the 1st Cavalry Division. The Taliban claimed to have shot down the helicopter in a statement. However, Fawad Amen. Afghanistan Defense Ministry deputy spokesman denied the claim and said the crash occurred due to a technical problem with the aircraft. The crash destroyed the helicopter, which was participating in a night raid, said Didar Lawang, a Logar province spokesperson. There have been 19 U.S. combat deaths in Afghanistan in 2019, the deadliest year for American troops in the country since international combat Operations ended in late 2014. The burden of death is carried by family and friends. Edward Mitchell, a flight instructor at Fort Rucker, Alabama, could barely speak about Fukuyama without choking up. The Mitchell family adopted Fukuyama after he began flight school at Fort Rucker in April of 2017. He was quiet, but he would give you the shirt off his back once he got to know you, Mitchell said. He became like a brother to my sons, Mitchell said over the phone, his voice cracking. He would give his time freely to those boys. He didn't have to. He didn't need to, but he wanted to. On Tuesday, the day before he died, he was helping Mitchell's 17-year-old son cope with a heartbreak through text messages. At point, in one of his last texts, he said he had to go. He was leaving for what would be his final mission. And this is from WKWTX.com by the staff. Hundreds lined the streets of West Temple neighborhood where two full and four hood aviators lived as police escorted the soldiers' woman widows home. Neighbors holding flags stood silently as a small convoy traveled down the street. A day earlier, Fort Hood identified two soldiers who were killed when their Apache helicopter crashed in Afghanistan as Chief Warrant Officer 2 David C. Nadel, 33 of Texas, and Chief Warrant Officer 2 Kurt T. Fuchigama of Hawaii, who were both assigned to the 1st Cavalry Division's 
1st Battalion. Mackenzie Fukigama traveled to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware for the return of her husband's body. While Silky Nadal did not make the trip, people close to the pair said Nadal made up with Mackenzie as she returned to Central Texas and they rode home together. President Donald Ford, uh, Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump also flew to Dover to pay tribute to the fallen soldiers. Mr. Trump has described the Dover ceremonies as some of the toughest things he had had to do as a commander-in-chief. The city of Temple lowered flags to half-staff in honor of the fallen soldiers. We are forever grateful to their sacrifice and service. We send our condolences to their loved ones, the city said on a Facebook post. Both soldiers deployed to Afghanistan in October of 2019. NATO joined the Army in April 2013, and in April 2015 was assigned to the 1227 as an Apache pilot. His awards and decorations include the Bronze Star Medal. Fukigama joined the Army in May 2017, and in October 2017 was assigned to the 1227 as an Apache pilot. His awards and decorations also include the Bronze Star Medal. Today's show is dedicated to these chief warrant officers. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its wonderful future. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate to them this song, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one out there, and may God keep them safe.
All right, and we're back. You're here listening to Seven Cents here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star, Daily News. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. You listen to this so many times, you know what I'm going to say next. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh, man, Curtis, we got ourselves a rock and roll show lined up here, and there's so much to talk sure about. Sure yeah, you know, um, we're going to have Jesse James, uh, Jesse Jane Duff calling in in a little while. But I want to talk about some hypocrisy we have in our elected officials. Now, just remember, it was just this past week that in uh, Virginia, they had the pro-Second Amendment gun rally. And the elected officials in Virginia are doing their damnedest to take the guns away from legally owned and peaceful citizens of the state of Virginia. And we saw the massive rally, which most mainstream media did not want to really talk about. Well, guess what? One of these very same politicians, to show the hypocrisy, at 2 a.m. last Sunday, he was stopped in a routine traffic stop. And a member of the Christianburg Police Department pulled over Democratic State Delegate Chris Hurst on the suspicion of drunk driving. Now, he blew a .085, which is way above the legal limit. But he didn't get arrested because he had his girlfriend in the car, a wife in the car. He did not get arrested. He was behind the wheel driving and was not arrested. What the trooper did was take the keys away from him give them to his lady friend, had her drive him home. 
Now, here's the kicker. State delegates in Virginia cannot be impeached or removed from office while they're holding that office. So he cannot be removed. Any Republican did this. They came up with something crazy like that. Calls for that person's head on a silver platter, calls for resignation, calls for the cop who did not charge him to be, I don't know, put before a board, asked why did you, yeah, fired, calls for that cop to be fired. But because it's a delegate, and now the liberal state of Virginia, he walks away. The man committed a crime. He holds an office of respect and responsibility. He is a public figure, and he thinks he's above the law. Hear it now. Hear it now. I am calling for a Virginia State Delegate, Chris Hurst, to do the right thing and resign. You heard it first here, but believe me. How many people are going to be talking about this? Sounds like diplomatic immunity (laughs) on a, a more local level. It's crazy, but had it It been a Republican, it would be the exact opposite would have happened. The person would have been locked up. It would be national news. Would have been been perp-walked in the 5 o'clock and the 10 o'clock news. They would have perp-walked him or her. But because it's Virginia and it's a Democrat, and Virginia laws say that you don't have to impeach him or toss him out of office because he holds office. Hmm. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So these are some of the things that, you know, I pick up along the way, and I'm constantly, you know, looking for articles and stuff every single day of the week. And, I mean, right up until the time um, we go on air, I am constantly pulling stuff down. Now, I, I, I had mentioned on the show the last few few shows here, last few broadcasts we did, people be careful the closer we get to the election. Things are, strange things are going to start to happen. Now I mentioned the Antifa action going on in New York City today. They're going to go tonight into Grand Central Station. They're going to jump the turnstile. They're going to aggressively go after the cops. Someone is going to get hurt. So New York City is on major, major alert. And I blame this all on Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio for not bringing in rain on these terrorist thugs. And that's what they are, terrorist thugs that are doing this. So they haven't, they've allowed this to happen. So I'm telling you. Well, they look at there, these guys as freedom fighters. That's the way they look at them, as freedom Freedom, you know, fighters on that that side of the island. That's why they they get away with so much. Well, God bless you know the unions for these offices out there. I can't imagine what it's like on the street today. I mean, I went through the Eastern Parkway riots when we had that one Jewish guy uh, hit this kid on Eastern Parkway, and it exploded all through Brooklyn and piled over into Manhattan. Now, I work those, but this this is just above the pale, what's going on. Now, we say Antifa is being backed by George Soros. I've said this before, right? You've heard me say that? 
Most certainly. Well, that is true. American Action, American Action News posted up on their website that George Soros is predicting economic collapse just before Election Day. Now, every time George Soros has come up with one of these predictions, he's been correct. When the pound was collapsed in Great Britain, he predicted it. But who was behind that currency collapse? George Soros. When we had the currency collapsing in Greece, who was behind that? George Soros. Who was behind the Occupy movement? George Soros. Who is behind the Black Lives Matter? George Soros. Who's behind Hands Up, Don't Shoot? George Soros. Who is backing Antifa? George Soros. Who is backing all these Democratic candidates running against Donald Trump? I will say to a person, George Soros. He's going to pull something. He is going to pull something, folks, and we're going to have to be prepared. It's going to be something to do with our finances, and he's going to try to cause a huge economic collapse here in the United States. Well, I think he's up against a a mastermind himself, Trump. I mean, to give such a, a warning ahead of time, that gives Trump plenty of time to come up with um, countermeasures. The man is smart for yeah. a reason. He's successful for a reason. How about arresting and we him all... for treasonous acts, inciting yeah. a violence? Yeah, let's see him being led yeah. away in handcuffs. Yeah, perp walked. Yep. I'd love to see so that. We've got our guest. Oh, George Soros in handcuffs. Oh, that would make my day. Oh, that would be Christmas, Easter, birthday, all tied into one. <laughs> Let's welcome aboard. Uh, I love this woman dearly. A gunnery Sergeant Jesse Jane Duff, USMC retired, calling into us. I'm in the heart of the Tri-Command right outside of Paris Island Gateway. Good afternoon, Jesse Jane, and how are you today? Uh, oh, good afternoon, Motivator. It's great to be here. Uh, I was just fantasizing George Soros being led away in handcuffs. So sorry about that. <laughs> mm, well, I guess we can all dream, right? <laughs> Man, there is so much to talk to you about. I had half a dozen different things picked up from you. Let me just get my notes here together. I'm a little bath backwards today. Um, there is so much that's going on today, and I don't even know where to start. I started with my notes last night, and we've got the impeachment hearing still going on. What what a circus. I, I never thought I would ever see something like this in my lifetime. But, you know, it, it's a complete joke. Oh, yeah. It's really something that shows that, that the partisan anger and deflection that the Democrats are doing has stooped to a level that I never dreamed possible. And I mean that with all sincerity. We've seen bickering, we've seen squabbles, we've seen disagreements, but to flagrantly go onto the House floor and lie and simply not present the case in a way that is reasonable or fair to to not allow the president to even defend himself, and then to go 
vote on these articles of impeachment that had no grounds for impeachable offenses listed. Then when it lands in the Senate's lap, then turn around and force or push the Senate to call more witnesses, although they had rushed it through the House and failed to call those witnesses themselves. It is not the Senate's responsibility to add or uh, do more diligence than that in which the House had provided them. They are going off of exactly what the House provided to them in those articles of impeachment. And based upon those articles, there was no impeachable offense. And let's add on to this. There was no impeachable offense, even if Bolton had testified or any other of the uh, three students that they probably wanted to bring forward, because the facts are that there was no quid pro quo. There was no uh, obstruction of justice. There was nothing that this president did that would be grounds for impeachment. Well, you know, um, I'm I'm willing to bet Nancy Pelosi wants to be slap Adam Schiff, uh, because when he was being questioned by uh, members of the Senate, um, he he told the senator, senators this. He said they could not quote rely on what was investigated in the House unquote, and they must call for new witnesses beginning with the former National Security Advisor John Bolton. So in other words, Adam Schiff, in those few words, said we didn't do our job. We were so inept and so corrupt. Mm. We didn't do what we were supposed to do by the Constitution. So we're asking you to take over our powers granted to us in the Constitution, and you do our job for us. Oh, that's exactly what they were trying to do. They didn't present a solid case, and now, they were tra- now they're going to run around, watch this, and deflect on the American people and say that this was not a trial that was seeking the truth, when in fact they, that is exactly what they did in the House. They did not seek the truth in the House. And to suggest the Senate is not doing this fairly, they're going to vote on it. These senators are going to vote, and it appears that they will have the 51 votes needed to not go forward with calling more witnesses, and the case will be dropped. This is not, this president will not get impeached by the Senate. And it boils down to the simple fact that they did not have any substantive information to forward on to the Senate, and Adam Schiff knows it. And now they're trying to spin this 20 different ways that the Senate is responsible to find more information because they could not prove guilt. The Senate must go find more. That is not how this works. The House should have run this cleaner. They should have had their facts together. And uh, it goes to show that there was no imminent uh, need for them to push this over to the Senate, as Nancy Pelosi stated, that it had to be rushed. There was urgent. The only reason they're trying to have an urgent hearing is that they're trying to prevent this president from having a reelection. They're trying to derail him from reelection and at any cost. Despite the success he has given to this country, despite the success that the American people have found underneath this president. So it's really tragic that we have such deceptive players in the House that would push forward such a sham of an impeachment that is dishonest and uh, clearly demonstrates that many of these elected officials had no hesitation lying, lying, flagrantly lying to the American people. And it's amazing because or as this show, Dog and Pony show is going on, Trump is just – he just seems to be glowing. The more they do this to him, the more he gains strength. So he's had his rallies in New Jersey and just recently in Iowa. He's going forward full steam ahead. He's passed the USMCA. He's signed that into, into law. Uh, he's made the deal with China. He's now getting a deal made with France. 
He has pushed the Keystone Pipeline forward, something we could not do for, for the full administration of Obama and George Bush, George W. Bush. We could not get it moving for two presidential administrations, but he's got Keystone going forward. We're seeing his approval rating numbers skyrocket, and we're seeing a jump in his approval ratings with black Americans go up 17%. These numbers are phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. When you look at the fact that we have record low unemployment in the history of this country, you know, uh, women unemployment is at record low, African-American, Latino, Asian-American, all record low unemployment. Bottom line, record low unemployment for all Americans across every sector, every board. Even veteran unemployment dropped 37% from where it was at under the Obama administration. It's now at a record low as I believe it's 2.5. I could be wrong, but it's it's under 3%. This was unheard of in the previous administration. And even the previous administration had said, what is he going to do to make these jobs? What does he have, a magic wand? Well, yes, I guess he does, because President Obama failed to give businesses an opportunity to grow and hire more people and to get our economy going because they were so burdened with regulations. This this administration has cut 13 regulations for every one that they have implemented. Those regulations were suffocating the American economy, suffocating businesses from growth, and now we've got businesses coming back to the United States. We lost over 200 million jobs to China in the first part of this decade, from 2000 to 2010, and President Trump has reversed course. People who wanted cheaper products did it at the cost of having their neighbor and their friends not have a job because we were going after cheapness versus American prosperity. And the president has said, no, you can have American prosperity and not cause your wallet to collapse in the process. You know, it's amazing what he has done in such a short time, because as you said, the jobs grow, grew by 7.1 million, not 300,000, 7.1 million. And it's at a 50-year low unemployment. So now you go to Taco Bell, you can get a $15 an hour job, not something that the government told Taco Bell to do. The federal government did not mandate $15 an hour, but they have so many job openings that Taco Bell, if you're going to go in there and mop the floor and clean out the soda machines, you can get paid $15 an hour. That's unheard of. Their managers are going and being hired at 6 Digit figures, $150,000 for a manager of a Taco Bell's, absolutely unheard of. If you got 50000 you were wealthy. But 150000 because these jobs are out there and because they're open, employers are saying, I need these jobs filled, I will pay you. We're seeing something that I haven't seen since I worked in the 1980s with American Express. They're giving health care, full health care benefits. They're giving stock purchase plans. They're giving savings plans. They're giving these people all these perks to gain employees. They're trying to woo them in because they need quality people to fill the jobs. And there's just so many jobs are not being filled. I have not seen this since Ronald Reagan. Yeah, it's an exciting time in the United States, and it was wonderful to see the president take that to Iowa 
because while the Democrats can't even figure out who they want to have uh, lead their party, it looks like it's going to be a contested, potentially could be even contested all the way up to their uh, their convention. It's going to all be in vain. All of their efforts are going to be in vain because Americans are going to reject the socialist agenda of the Democratic Party. And, you know, I believe this economy is not just the only solution. It's also our national security, ensuring that we are in, we are safe. He has gone after terrorists. Meanwhile, the Senate tried to uh, object to him killing one of the deadliest terrorists in the world that had killed hundreds of American military members overseas. When General Salmani of Iran was killed, they actually objected to it. When on earth did we ever think that the Democrats on the floor of the House and Senate would be protesting the taking taking out a murderous a murderous terrorist of American military personnel. I mean, whose side are they on? Obviously not that of the Gold Star mothers and fathers out there or the wives and children who have no longer got a uh, a father in the household and even the women who had sacrificed their lives, who were supporting the efforts of our infantry out there. It is a tragedy to see that the Democrats were supporting Iran over that of the military that the president knew he had to protect. Salmani was in Baghdad. He was not in Iran when he was killed. And I know that anybody on active duty stationed in Iraq would have had red flags all over the place if that man had come into Iraq. His agenda was clear, and his only purpose was to kill more American lives. And when we saw that they could not even celebrate that, when they could not even acknowledge that this was the right measure, and they were saying that he had overstretched his boundaries, no matter what this president do, make no mistake, this impeachment will go down in the history books as a failed coup attempt by the House, and it will also not be the last attempt. They will try again, and if it's not impeachment, it will be some other degree to ensure that they can make this president unsuccessful over the next four years because he has essentially abolished any success that the Democratic Party thought that they would obtain by getting into that White House because the fact is is their method does not work. Well, it's funny because I think it's going to backfire big time because already uh, GOP Senator Josh Hawley has uh, crafted subpoenas for Hunter Biden and Adam Schiff as well as the whistleblower. So even if the Senate does vote for witnesses, he's got them in his back pocket. And already we heard Rand Paul saying this is not over. We're going to continue with our investigations and there will be people who will pay. So I I think uh, they stuck their foot in a little too bit far and i pointed out adam schiff before he did the impeachment hearings in the intelligence committee had raised something like five million dollars for his campaign pack of which he gave donations to 44 members of the house then after he made those donations he put together the impeachment committee those very house members that voted for impeachment have just been bribed by the prosecutor adam schiff we do this in a court well, of law. You or I do it. We'd be behind bars. But he's a that's, congressman that's the and he's above the law. That's exactly it, though. All Congress members appear to be above the law, Democrat and Republican, because they are impugned from having been questioned for lying on the House floor, whereas a witness is going to be held accountable. We saw that with Michael Cohen, who is now sitting in a jail cell for lying to Congress. But yet Adam Schiff has flagrantly lied on the House floor repeatedly. 
and he's quite convincing. I do not underestimate him. I listen to him, and if you don't know the facts or the stories, when you listen even to Nancy Pelosi, who I used to have a level of professional respect for, I now realize that these people can lie without even blinking. And when they what this is an Alinsky tactic, a foul Alinsky, repeat a lie long enough and people will believe it. And that's exactly the script they have held to, that this president had tried to obstruct Congress, which in effect is not an impeachable offense, because as I recall, we have three branches of government, and the president will consistently give Congress heck, because it's his job to push back on them when he feels that they're being unreasonable. There are three separate branches. But with that, you listen to Adam Schiff. He is exceptionally convincing. He's very articulate, very calm, and very soft-spoken. So when you are listening, you don't expect him to be actually lying. But he is, especially for those of us who have explored this and listened to it. And you can find most of the White House uh, uh uh, defense team on YouTube, and if you go back and just watch each one of these uh, attorneys explain the process, you have hit the nail on the head. Hunter and Joe Biden got the worst exposure they ever dreamed. What Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff essentially did was they threw a wrench in Joe Biden's campaign to be president, whether that was adver- inadvertent or advertent, for them to suggest that Burisma had nothing to – was of no concern or effort, yet they mentioned it hundreds of times when they were on the House floor. They were deflecting. Again, they were deflecting because the – The crimes that we can see were committed were brought to national attention over a period of years, and all they did now was bring it to the American public. Many of us who were never even heard of Burisma or the oligarch that was corrupt or even Hunter Biden, for that matter, now know their names and know exactly what went on. And I don't see how Joe Biden could ever overcome that in his presidential bid. It'll be his third time running for president, and he had failed twice before. He will fail again, and I don't know what the end result will this be. We've seen many corrupt Democrats seem to just slime away, but I dare to say they have built a wall of distrust that the American people will have with them for years, if not decades to come. It will take a long time for them to never forget how they undermined a duly elected president with a fake dossier that was pushed by people in the very Senate to the FBI to try to get this uh, campaign under electronic surveillance then uh, had the, uh, the FISA warrants that were issued falsely all under the nose of the Department of Justice, all under the nose of the Obama administration, all funded funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign, the fake dossier. How on earth they're not, haven't been held accountable is beyond me, but I will say the American people will not forget, and we will never, ever, the trust that the Democrats have lost among the American people is deep, and it's wide, and it will take a very long time for them to ever destroy their their comprehensive ability to the American people. Gee, Jesse, um, give us a little more. You're holding back, Jesse. I don't, I don't get, I don't get uh-huh. the passion in you yet. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. It's it's a Friday. I'm just so wiped out. There's nothing to talk about, right? I'm gonna tell you well, what you know, I find interesting. To... What I find interesting is is going back to the economy. Is that the black community has been brainwashed into thinking that. This economic boom 
that we are in now is the result of Obama's policies. And I, I, you know, challenge them all the time to tell me what policies um, resulted from Obama that created this, you know, and, and they just, you know, shoot all around the question. But the fact is, Obama blamed the first four years of his presidency, the, the, the bad economic news at that time. He blamed it on Bush. And the last four years of his term, he said, hey, we, we better get used to this. This is the new norm. So, I mean, where's the prosperity? Where's the hope and, 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 and the economic boom from, from that kind of rhetoric? Well, we all know that African Americans are paying close attention because we have Black Voices for Trump, which is out there now, and that is a coalition being run by the campaign. And every time you turn around, they have a huge level of support that we did not even see um, with any Republican, let alone Democrat, in in decades. Uh, when record low unemployment happens, I've I've actually had conversations with uh, African Americans who acknowledge that. They're not naive to that. They see that they have had an increase in their revenue in their paychecks. They've seen economic prosperity, and they understand that a lot of these um, zones, outreach zones, I can't remember what they're called, I, forgive me for this, but the president has invested in the communities that have been forgotten by previous administrations, and these are some of your very rural communities along with many of your urban communities, and they've opportunity zones. There I go. And over billions of dollars are being invested. So not only are the communities getting a shot in the arm, their paychecks are seeing a surge. And then when you look at the prison reform that was put forward by this White House, that did not happen under President Obama. That happened under President Trump. He also moved the HBCUs into the White House. Their offices are right there. He has met with faith-based leaders in the black community. You repeatedly, if you're watching the White House Twitter page or Facebook page or the president's pages, you see him consistently reaching out to the black community over and over and over and over again. I mean, when you've got Ben Johnson, the former uh, CEO of BET, the ultimate billionaire to many of the icon of billionaires in this in the black community, supporting the president and his initiatives, eyes are opening and waking up. Bo Snurdly, who's a producer with Rush Limbaugh, have created initiatives that are actually going out there. He has a pack that he's created. One is MAGA Black, and that is to get out Boys up advertising that goes into these communities and said, Guess what? The Democrats own the hood. And he says it. They have these ads going. So anytime there's a shooting and disruption within these communities, they put the ads out there and remind people, well, who runs your community? Who is failing to get you better quality of life? Who is failing to give your children the opportunity to go to the schools they want? Democrats are the ones that have blocked school choice. Democrats are the ones that have not allowed or have tried to 
stop children from going into charter schools. Look at the documentary in New York City of Waiting for Superman, where African-American children are crying when they don't win the lotteries to get out of the public school systems that have failed them. This is not to say that every public school is a failure, but it goes to show that the government has failed at teaching these children and giving these families an opportunity for choice and opportunity, and the tax dollars are being washed away instead of going to schools where these kids can succeed. African Americans, I would dare to say, have never been brainwashed. They have been misled because there is a thing called trust that all of us have had in elected officials. We've all been fooled. I'll tell you right now, I was fooled by Mitt Romney. I would have never dreamed Mitt Romney would be the Benedict Arnold that he has turned into. I would have never dreamed that John McCain would have turned into such a uh, a an angry individual towards an elected Republican. I can say worse things, but we're on the air. I will consistently say that there are many people out there who have been fooled, and it has not been just African Americans. It has been white Americans who have stood by the establishment, like the Bill Crystals out there, who thought that they had all these ultra-conservative values, and we were fighting for the wrong things. We were fighting for things based upon sometimes things that government had no business being involved in, and once you lifted that who came out and said he supported the lgbtq community president trump when he spoke at the rnc in 2016 he stood there and persuaded the lgbtq community yet they come out and say he was anti-gay and yet he has the first uh gay ambassador openly gay ambassador richard grinnell in germany who Mitt romney had fired for being homosexual. So here we are. We all should be ashamed of our past for supporting the wrong agendas. And now there's a refreshing opportunity for everyone, Republicans and Democrats and liberals and, and independents, to say, wait a minute, this guy's doing something different. Why are we fighting it? He wasn't the normal cloak and armor elephant that came out onto the stage. He was a new guy for many Republicans, and many resisted him. But now he is saying, you know what? I was never called a racist till I beat Hillary Clinton into the ground. I was never called a racist. I was never called a homophobe. I was never called anti-woman until I beat Hillary Clinton. And the fact was is because Hillary Clinton could not give up power and nor could that Democratic Party. And now they will do anything. They'll claw your eyes out. They will scratch your teeth. They will throw you into prison to keep their power. And when they started talking in this impeachment about we have to remove him because the American public cannot reelect him. That's literally what they were saying in so many words, that you cannot reelect him because he's going to steal or cheat or lie at this election. He's trying to convince the average American that he will steal the election. That's why we got to remove him. You know what? That sounds a whole lot like communism. That's how the Soviet Union took over. That's how Vietnam fell to communists. That's how Venezuela fell to Maduro. They persuade you that, oh, you don't know what you're doing. This is a wrong person. You can't vote for him. They want to take away the very process that our founding fathers gave us, which was a fair and decent and honest election. There was no evidence of corruption in our election other than, oh, some some Twitter handles and some Facebook handles with a Soviet or Russians uh, trying to do their advertising, but they were honestly just trying to cause chaos on both sides. There's no evidence that this president was siding with Russia, and that is a fraudulent argument. So I dare to say that a lot of people are now woke.
a lot of people are woke. And let's just pray for this president every single day because we have to protect him. We've got a long journey in front of us, and if we do not pray for him, only Almighty God can protect him because, honestly, the evil that surrounds him is pretty deep in this swamp in which I dare to say I live. Well, you know, it's a shame because today it's the Super Bowl weekend start, and he has a huge party that goes down to Mar-a-Lago. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine was supposed to be there with her life partner, and they had invited my husband and I to go, but she had a bad fall. So, of course, I'm still here in South Carolina. Uh, but there was two SUVs that crashed through two barriers at Mar-a-Lago this morning around 1130. So they are not only just attacking him politically, but they are still trying to attack him physically. So I pray for the safety of this president. I really, truly do, because the closer we get to this election, the more violent it's going to be. Up in New York City today, there's going to be an Antifa riot in Grand Central Station. They have a video out there, and my friend, who's the president of the PBA in New York City, made sure it was posted out there. So every single cop out there, whether they're on duty or not on duty, you are aware that you're going to be coming under attack by Antifa today. They call it J31, and it's called F the Cops. I'm not going to say the actual word on air, Right, F right. the Cops, the very men and women that I served with. Just It doesn't matter if we're there to protect your mama and your babies, but F the Cops anyway. Yeah, it's pretty tragic, and um, hopefully we can just start seeing people uh, recognize that this president has done so much to help change the way this country was going, the direction it was going, that more and more people who are on the moderate side, who are on the left, who aren't uh, far left, who aren't radicalized, who are just simply looking at the facts saying, you know what, this is getting worse and worse, and this man has done nothing wrong. They've tried from day one to get rid of him on many levels because they see that they've lost their power. And what's so sad, it wasn't just the left. It wasn't just the Nancy Pelosi's and the Ilhan Omar's and the Rashid Tlaib's and, you know, the list can go on on and every Democratic candidate running. It also is people within the Republican Party. We had Paul Ryan barely give him any support, if at all. We had the Bill Crystal, like I said, who was kind of like the pinnacle of conservatism, walk into getting retweeted by Hillary Clinton and embracing it. You know, we've had people just fill themselves with so much anger and despise this man for reasons in which I cannot explain. I've actually met the president. He's, you know, he's he's sharp. He's smart. Uh, people try to say the exact opposite. But when you meet him, you see he knows every topic. He understands exactly what you're speaking to. He knows how to participate in any issue in which is presented to him. And at the same time, he loves this country. He's donating his paycheck for anybody to say he's profiting off of this. He's the only man that will come into office and leave of less value than when he came into office, whereas every other has profited off of this nation. And we're now seeing how Joe Biden's own family, and we've known this for years, but nobody ever wanted to talk about it. So shame on him for running for president because now we're talking about it. His brother was making a profit. His son has made profits. His sister was making profits. I mean, it is ridiculous and obscene at how much money his family was profiting off of his connections by being the vice president of the United States. His brother, uh, as I recall, years ago I heard, was making money off of 
the military housing of the troops that were going to Iraq. You know, all of these little side deals. Don't think that they didn't know exactly what they were doing when these deals were set up. They're lining their pockets, and it's tragic that this is what this is what we expect of third world countries, and it's happening right under our noses. And it goes deeper than that in the swamp, and it's going to finally all come out in the open, fresh of air, you know, good sunshine and good bleach to clean it out. But, you know, uh, there are people that are fighting back. As for Mitt Romney, he's in trouble because Utah Republican State Representative Tim Quinn has introduced a bill to the state's legislator that would allow voters to recall U.S. Uh senators. Yeah. All right. It's HB 217. So there's going to be a pushback. I'm looking at some of these races that we have going out there in California District 7. A friend of the show, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson, is running. And his opponent going to uh, the primary, I looked at his website. Guy's name is John Ivey. He calls himself a progressive Republican. And I sent Buzz a little message. I said, we have to do a little whoops, you know what, on this guy. But I'm seeing more and more people that would never before run for office saying, that's it. This is the call to action now. We finally have an administration that is invigorating us, and people are coming out of the woodwork to help. Well, you know, I would say to Americans, you know, we've always heard, oh, this is the most important election of your life, and it's become something that has maybe been overused. But I would dare to say no. 20 years ago when we heard it, it was the most important election of our lives because people weren't paying attention, and we let a little bit of our freedom slip away. We let a little more corruption come into the picture, and then 16 years ago, the same line, and then, you know, you keep going back every four years. You kept hearing it. Well, if they had paid attention 20 years ago, we wouldn't be in this mess now. So it is every single time the most important election because if you look at what our what has happened to our country and the deterioration of our jobs, our economy, our manufacturing, how much we lost over the last we almost have a lost decade of financial ruin in this country, so to speak. The lowest growth, you know, was under the Obama administration. It was an anemic economy, anemic. It just was not growing, and. You look at where we are now, it is not a quick fit. It has to sustain itself. It has to have an opportunity to build upon this, and people cannot lose this. If they squander it away to the Democrats, and there were over 30 that got Republicans and Trump supporters to vote for them in the previous election, the last election in 2018, they, 2018, had a lot of them, such as Connor Lamb up in Pittsburgh, who took uh, outside of Pittsburgh, my friend Sean Parnell's running against him. This man convinced the voters, Trump supporters, that he would not work with Nancy Pelosi and he would work with the president. Well, sure enough, he voted to impeach the president. As many of those other 30 did, they forgot that those are Trump supporters. And speaking of Mitt Romney, over 60% of the Utah voters do support this president. And the recall initiative that was brought forward by that uh, uh, state member, it was something he had been working on for some time. It didn't come out of the woodwork, and he did try to say to the press that, no, this is not directed at Mitt Romney. But I found it very interesting that he even brought up Mitt Romney's name. Mitt Romney has proven to be a Benedict Arnold. If Utah voters don't well, forget, and if they reelect him, then shame on him. I mean, shame on them. Absolutely. Well, Jesse, it has been a pleasure having you on. I love having you on. I, one of these days, after this election is over, you've got to come and sit down in a whole hour with us because this 
just a little bit here is not enough. But I want to thank you for joining us. And thank you for the hard work you do with Veterans for Trump, uh, Women for Trump, uh, helping him with his campaign, as well as what you do with Concerned Veterans for America, as well as the Herb London Center. And I miss Herb. When he passed away, there's like a little hole. Yes, I agree. So tomorrow I head to North... Yeah, I head to North Carolina tomorrow and then Iowa over the weekend, so I'm excited to be a part of this campaign. Well, God bless the hard work you do, and stay safe out there. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. And everyone, you can find her at jessiejaneduff.com. There's a link up on the show page you can click on and join her there. I want to welcome our next guest in on the show. She is an angel mom. She's running for Congress in California's 31st District. She's running in the primary unopposed. Yay. Let's welcome aboard Agnes Gibney. Good afternoon, Agnes. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you? I am doing fine, watching the circus in D.C., and just going, oh, please, let it be over. Let it be over. President Trump is going to be acquitted today, I'll tell you. They they don't have anything on him. Yeah, he's going to be acquitted. This is a witch hunt incredible. You know, I was going over your website, which is – agnesgibney.com where people can follow you and help you on your campaign and as I said you are running unopposed uh, against Pete Aguilera who's a Democratic incumbent and I looked at his numbers on his last election cycle and his numbers have been dropping so I think you've got yourself a really good chance here I hope so Uh, people in the community in our district are incredibly uh, unhappy with him Uh, they call him empty suit uh, he does nothing uh, other than have coffee with Pete, uh, which means nothing. But he doesn't uh, uh, he doesn't work for the community at all. He works for himself, and uh, it's really sad. And I want to make uh, make that change. I want to go back to the old ways of picking up the phone, uh, talking to your um, uh, to the community, find out what is the problem, not to just a particular uh, group of people, which obviously he advocates for DACA, uh, open borders and impeachment, and uh, and uh, you know just let everybody in. And I am completely opposed to all that. Well, you have a very, very interesting uh, history and background, and uh, my husband happens to be an immigrant also, and I'm just the granddaughter of three immigrants who did everything legally, and you came across uh, into the United States at a time where you had to go to – my husband was put into a displaced persons camp because he was – the Latvia was taken over by the Soviet Union, and they fled, and they had to wait in a displaced persons camp to finally get approval, sponsorship, a job, somewhere to live. You have to sign a statement saying that you're not going to be a ward of the state, take no state money, no federal money mm-hmm. or anything like that. Very same things that your family did where he was able to do that with his family. I believe it took them three years, but it took you and your family a lot longer. And you had to go well, through uh, South America. Right. Uh, what happened was when my parents uh, tried to escape uh, Hungary after the Soviet Union invaded uh, Hungary, they uh, they got caught because I woke up in the middle of the night crying. <clears throat> they took everything away from them, their suitcases, their money, everything, but did not arrest my parents. It was my mother, my father, my brother, myself. I was two years old. My brother was five. And uh, 
So in January of 1957, they went for the border again. This time they concocted uh, through a friend of my mother who w worked at a pharmacy some, uh, uh, to help him sleep uh, through the journey because they went to the last train station, and from there they had to walk across the border. And uh, they succeeded crossing into the former Yugoslavia. My father was born in Yugoslavia, so obviously they wanted us to stay there. And my mother said, no, we're going to America. Because my mother refused, they would not allow us to go to the American embassy, giving us three choices of going to South Africa. My mother said, forget that. Austria, which is right next door to Hungary, she goes, no way, or Brazil. And we immigrated to Brazil, where we lived for 13 years. And uh, my parents applied three times. The first two, the application lapsed, and the third time we were successful. And the, the, so we immigrated legally to the United States. My father had a job contract. Uh, they had to sign a document stating they would not apply for any public assistance. And we, the major thing is we immigrated here as stateless, meaning we didn't belong anywhere because our Hungarian government took our citizenship away. So when I became a U.S. citizen in June of 1983, this is the only citizenship I have. And I have taken my oath of citizenship incredibly seriously. And uh, with all respect, I, I respect this country for giving me a home, uh, a country to call home, and uh, the country that I love and respect. So, therefore, I'm fighting for this country because what's, what the Democrats and the liberals are doing, they're destroying piece by piece, uh, attacking our Constitution and taking our freedom away little by little. And people haven't even noticed, but the, this change has taken a few years. It hasn't just started with President Trump being elected to office. This change started a, a good 30 years ago. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, Agnes, we do have a call that's been waiting in on the line. He wanted to ask a question about immigration. Let me bring the gentleman aboard. Panky, you sure. have a comment or a question for a guest who's running for Congress, Agnes Gibney? Well, yes, I was hoping to catch that last guest, but there was two points. One, I don't know if you know of the program that uh, where undocumented have been getting home mortgages uh, through the I-10 number that the IRS issued to a undocumented immigrant who can't get a Social Security number. It's I-T-I-N, Individual Tax Identification Number. Now, they have been taking these to home mortgage companies and buying homes, also getting a credit card. And we're talking about billions in loans. Now, what does that mean? Well, once you have signed your closure papers at the realtor's office, now you show an address by which you can go to the electric, I'm sorry, the, uh, the voter's registration, and you can register to vote in that district, even though you're undocumented. And not only that, you know, you can get your driver's license. That further complicates things. So I don't know if people knew about that, but it's something. This is how the Democrats build their base, uh -huh. quietly. I completely and one agree other, with you. I completely one other agree thing, with you. Go ahead. Go ahead. One other thing, too. Conservatives, in which Donald Trump is doing a very good job of pointing 
uh, judges for these liberal and these liberals like the Ninth Circuit, these liberal circuits. But conservatives need to get the federal judges on their side to go against these liberal judges that's putting these injunctions in on the things that Donald Trump has been trying to pass, thus by having to circumvent them and spend needed time, valuable time going to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court only hear about 100 cases a year. And we know that Donald Trump has had more than 100 of his proposed legislation knocked down by these liberal judges. We need to find and secure uh, federal judges that can and that can persuade from, you know, a conservative view. Those are two things I wanted to put out there. Thank you very much. Thank you. If I may make a comment, um, uh, sir, I don't know what your first name is. Uh, I didn't get that. Uh, but I agree. We should not be giving driver's license to illegal aliens at all because that just opens doors to uh, uh, voting fraud and, and all kinds of other, other things. I understand uh, in, there, was a, a, there was an area in Texas uh, they called the colony. Uh, they, they were selling properties, one-third of an acre lots, to illegal aliens. But you see, if they, for, if they foreclose on those, on those lots, on the trailers that they put on these lots, it goes back to the lender. So it's a double dip for them. And I think it ought to be against the law. You see, you as an American citizen cannot go to Mexico and buy a house, buy any property in Mexico at all. And we should do the same in this country because uh, why should we give them that opportunity to, to purchase something here? Driver's license? A no. Uh, getting mortgages, and who's paying for that when they default on, on those loans? We, the taxpayers, pick up because the interest goes up. And uh, and, and I agree, we need to appoint more uh, conservative judges in the federal courts and, uh, and, and re- remove in lower courts the liberal judges that are facilitating criminals from being prosecuted. In my case, just so you know, uh, when my son's murderer was prosecuted, the judge convinced him to take a plea bargain from first-degree murder down to voluntary manslaughter because then he would have a chance of having a life with his children. I will never have a life with my child because my child is six feet under in a coffin. But the judge convinced that illegal alien gang member to take a plea bargain, and those judges need to be they need to be removed from office because they're creating more crime and more victims in our country. But thank this you very is, much. I find interesting. Oh, thank you, Panky. I'm going to put you on uh, mute for now. So if you have another question later on, press one twice, and I'll see you go off and back on. Okay. Um, <coughs> This is a curious question dealing with these loans because I just recently refinanced my house. And in those loan documents, one of the questions I had to answer, which was a court affidavit, stating that I was a U.S. citizen. So I don't understand how under FHA law and federal lending laws that you can give a loan to someone who is not a legal resident of the United States. That's something to look into. Are these loans legal? Mhm. Yeah, it, it would be very, very interesting. And uh, you know, when the driver's license were given to uh, illegal aliens, 
they said that there was a marking on the driver's license that said not for federal uh, purposes. But when you acquire a, lo- a loan, a second mortgage, or refinance your home, or purchase a home, you're right. You have all these questions, and you have to show a history of employment. How do they prove that if they're here illegally and not able to work? Uh, well, they have the ITIN number, but uh, they, they shouldn't be able to uh, to purchase a, a home like that. They, they just should not. Yeah, so I'm questioning where the legality of those loans, and I'd be curious to find out who the lender is. I know Bank of America, a number of years back, was giving credit cards to illegal aliens until there was a public outcry, and someone in the federal government go, said, Bank, you can't do that. They're not legal residents of the United States. Uh-huh. Um, I know that my mother uh, lives in the Virgin Islands, and she had to pr- prove that she is a U.S. resident when she took a bank account out near me because she has a second home here so she can have her funds both there and here. So there are requirements that have to be met, and whether or not these lenders are circumventing them, there are some unscrupulous lenders out there, and that Uh would be worth a a real investigation. But you are an expert on illegal aliens, uh, having lost your son in a very tragic way. And just recently, uh, he was released from prison, and for some reason, ICE wasn't going to be told. Right. It has been... An absolute roller coaster uh, since August that I received a letter from the uh, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitations telling me that his uh, release is scheduled for November 23rd. And uh, so I kept contacting ICE and Voice and asking, okay, what's happening? They are not being notified. And that's all I was being told. ICE is not being notified. California being a sanctuary state, they are not allowed to go into prisons to detain a prisoner because they don't know when they're coming out. And in that clause, in that letter, it says uh, November 23rd, but it could be one or two days before. Well, ICE couldn't sit in front of the prison for three days, three days and three nights, waiting for him to come out. So until the very last minute, uh, I reached out to anybody and everybody I could. I was not going to give up on this not only uh, for my son, who no longer has a voice that this individual uh, murdered, and I don't care if my son was not the intended target. Somebody else was going to be in my shoes. And um, so anyways, he ended up, they moved up his date to November 22nd, Friday. ERO uh, uh, went in, uh, part of the Division of ICE, and uh, removed him, uh, apprehended him as he got released, and immediately put him over the border. Now, the question that I have is that I haven't been able to have anybody answer since it was not a judge that ordered him removed legally through a court of law. If he comes back a second time, what would happen? Would they be able to charge him for illegal reentry? And this is where I say we need to buckle down on these illegal aliens that take us for fools and disrespect our country, our land. They have no respect for our laws, for our citizens. And I'm not saying all illegal aliens are like that. But they, but those that are We do not want them in our country. It should be easier to deport these criminals from our country. 
Why are we allowing them to stay, to easily come back after deportation, to continue victimizing somebody else's family? This loss of my son, my son uh, on the 28th of January would have been 47 years old. I went to celebrate his birthday by his graveside with a cake, uh, four and a seven candle, and I sat, I cried. My son should be here. He should be here to blow out his candle. I should be able to buy my son a, a gift for his birthday, go out, take him out to dinner. I can't do any of that. Haven't been able to. Uh, April will be 17 years. Nobody should be sentenced to that kind of pain and suffering because we, as, as a country, cannot be tough on immigration laws. And if we are tough, enforce our existing immigration laws. That would be a great start. Every country has laws that they abide by. Why can't we? But if we do, we're called bigots, we're called racist, we call insensitive. Uh, we are the most compassionate country in the world. You know, it's, it's funny because we have 11 million illegals here in the United States, out of which 820,000 have actual criminal convictions. But when you consider mm -hmm. that they have all broken the laws, that makes it 100% criminal actions. Now, mm -hmm. um, now I, there are, are people that are being forced to come over the border for human trafficking. So you know, that is a whole other story. And we do have laws in place for victims. And right. you know, if you're here and you're not brought over legally through no fault of your own and you're still a victim, our laws are in place to protect you. And President Trump today signed an executive order creating a, a position through the help of his daughter, Ivanka Trump, uh, to help with this illegal human trafficking, to make it easier for the victims to come forward, to get against the coyotes. So there's something being done for that, but there's the others that come over willingly illegally. You know, now you were being told sanctuary cities are legal, but according to James Walsh, the former Associate General Counsel of Immigration and Nationalization, he said that eight USC Section 1324 deals with those persons who knowingly conceal, harbor, or shield undocumented aliens and could apply to officials in sanctuary cities and states. So or we have the laws on the books saying sanctuary cities are illegal. I want to know why we don't have places like San Francisco and New York being prosecuted. I, that, um, that's my uh, a great point, and I want to know that, too. I would like nothing more than have had Jerry Brown arrested for passing SB 54 and have our governor, Gavin Newsom, who's being recalled as we speak. We have many petitions out to recall him. Why aren't they prosecuted. They are breaking federal laws. A governor has no power over federal laws. And if if they are not going to be arrested, then what next thing I suggest is uh, uh, remove every incentive, every funding for the state. And you know what's even more sad is our, I have been to many, many prisons to speak uh, on victims' impact. And every prison, didn't matter if it was a federal prison, a state prison, uh, a youth uh, correctional facility, 
the great majority of incarcerated are Hispanics. So they're saying that they're, they don't commit crimes. Why is their prison so full of them? And, 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 and then the government, the federal government, gives the state money to reimburse them for the cost of housing these criminal illegal aliens. Why? They are creating part of the problem, a huge part of the problem, by harboring illegal aliens and criminals. And, and for those that come here, that they pay a coyote to bring them here, let's think about it. Why don't they pay those three, five thousand, ten thousand dollars to an uh, American embassy to come here legally? Why pay a coyote and be uh, in the shadows? But the problem too that we face, and I'm not trying to be racist. I love the Latino culture. I love everybody. I, I don't care if you're scum, you're scum. That's then stay away from me. But here's the thing. We cannot, as a nation, afford to have 10,000, 20,000, a million, two million, ten million of people just pouring into our country. Legal immigration has a process, background investigation, medical uh, for the whole family to make sure you don't have any existing uh, conditions, that it's, that you're going to become a burden to, to American taxpayers. They... They have a process, so follow that process. If you can't, here's the other thing. Many of these people coming here illegally, as sad as it is, what are they going to offer to our country? Most of them are illiterate in their own language. They can't read and write. How are they going to learn English? How are they going to learn to read and write English, to take a driver's license test? How are they going to do anything? It's going to deplete every resources we have because we're going to need more translators. We need to, we're going to need uh, more funding to, to help support them because they don't make enough money. Now, you know, then now they have a child. Now they are an anchor baby. And now through that child, they are entitled to welfare and every public assistance they can get. But they never pay the you know, penny got- into the system. Well, you've got personal experience working with that community because where you live, uh, you had joined the local police department as a volunteer. You worked in mm-hmm. a shelter for battered women. Um, you were also a translator for the police department. You know, you talk about, you know, victimizations and survivors. You've lived in the heart of it with it. Uh, your first husband was Hispanic. Um, so it, it's not as if you're talking off the top of your head. You know, you've been there. You've seen Correct. Correct. I have been there, and I I feel sorry for some of these countries that do not offer a better lifestyle for, uh, for, for thousands. But I do not. I've never been to Guatemala or El Salvador, but I can guarantee you there are people that have good education, they are doctors, they are lawyers, they are making a good living because they got the education. It's like in the United States. If you this is a country of opportunity. If you every opportunity is given to you, you can do anything here if you want to, if you want to work for it. But don't come here to take free stuff because 
my dollars are not going to go to you if I can help it. Because I worked hard for what I have. My husband worked hard for what he has. My family worked hard for what we have. We didn't get any handouts. You have an opportunity to go to school, to get an education, to better yourself. And those that don't, they just want a handout, go somewhere else. Because that's why they come here. Because this is a huge incentive to many illegal aliens to come here because they know that we won't allow a child to go hungry, so they're, they're going to get food stamps, they're going to get Medi-Cal, they're going to get other, you know, a bunch of other uh, uh, public assistance. We can't afford this. Our country is in deficit. We owe billions and billions of dollars. If, as we speak, we wouldn't be able to pay just the interest in one year, in five years, that's how much money we're in debt and we're taking on somebody, some other country's burdens, and, and, and no, it, it can't, um, you know, it, 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 we can't continue like that. No, we can't. But one good thing is, is that uh, Trump had one of his rules upheld, the Supreme Court upheld the rule to deny, to the teeth and backwards, deny green cards for migrants using social, social services. Because we were able to turn the Ninth Circuit around, so now if you're going to apply for Section 8 housing, Medicaid, and Social Security, whatever else, you're not going to get a green card. So you will never be a citizen, and you will never be here legally. So guess what? Next step, out of here. Uh, we do out of here, exactly. Agnes. I, <laughs> I, I so agree with – I so agree. If it dependent on me – I would say, okay, everybody line up. Let's do a background. DACA, you have a criminal record? I'm sorry, out of here. Take your family with you. Separation of families? I'm permanently separated from my family. Who cares? Is anybody caring that I go to the cemetery to hug a, 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 a caress a code marker on the ground because my son was murdered by a previously deported illegal alien gang member? The Democrats don't care about that. They don't want to hear about it. That's real separation of families. You invade our country, you're separated temporarily from your family, fine. You have a criminal record, get out of here. We don't need you. We don't need your kind here. We don't need you to rape uh, little girls and little boys and, and steal. And another lie, when they say that uh, uh, illegal uh, uh, sanctuary cities are safer, that is the biggest lie ever. Go to a sanctuary city, ask the people that live there, have you been victimized? Do you get burglarized? Do you, uh, does your car get breaking into? Do they steal your hubcap? Do they break in to steal your radio? Yes, they do. The only difference is they do not go to the police to report it because they are afraid of being under the radar. But they are victimized just as much, if not more, than we are. And we need to eliminate this. You, you took any public assistance from our government, you don't qualify for a green card. Get out. Go back and apply for the, uh, the, the legal process after 10 years. This is your punishment. Get out. Go home. You know, and DACA are saying, oh, I, this is the only country I, I know. My heart goes out to them. I'm a very compassionate person. I didn't create a situation. You and anybody else didn't create a situation. Their parents did. 
their parents made a decision for their children. Now sit down and explain to your children what mistakes you made, and you make it better, not on our tax dollars and not on our account. And any uh, uh, DACA recipient that had any criminal record, out. You took public assistance, you took welfare, most of them. We already pay for them to go to school to get free education. They go to college free. They go, they get everything free, all the grants, because all you have to do is Latino. They have offices to represent DACA uh, recipients. My child couldn't pay college because she couldn't make, uh, she couldn't afford to pay, and we made too much. She couldn't get a grant. Why? She's a te- she's an American citizen. She should be first. Your child should be first, not illegal aliens that that came here. And another thing I say, okay, you came here, you lived here 20 years or whatever how long you lived here, you got an education, you learned the language, now take it back to your country and do the best you can for your country. And if you do want to return, then apply legally to come back. Like everybody else, it's not fair to those that are waiting in line. Well, we've got another caller in here. Boy, the switchboard's lighting up over here. Scott from Cleveland has a question for our guest. Our guest is candidate for uh, California District 31, Agnes Gibney. Uh, Scott, what is your question or comment? My question is, and my comment is kind of the same thing, is is, um, I kind of feel like, a white guy get, gets bashed almost every day on radio or TV, right? So uh, I don't get it. You know, uh, I, well, I do get it. I understand. But um, um, unfortunately, I'm not responsible for all the ills of society. And your last guest was awesome, and, and she put it right to point. And that, what that means is it's personal. You know, you're personally responsible for your stuff. And um, I haven't had a slave in my lifetime. Never, never. And neither, you know what? Neither has my parents and neither has my grandparents. So um, I'm not going to continue to pay and and suffer repercussions for stuff like that for people that whine about it. And that's what I'm hearing is that there are people that that are whining. And that last guest, she had no whine about her at all. She was happy to be here in the country. Um, her family uh, is is successful, and and uh, she was cool about being here. And I think that's cool, and that's interesting. And and um, that's that's our country. That's where we live. But I am a guy, right, who lives in this country, a white male who lives in this country, and uh, I'm over it. I am tired of hearing the BS. And that, that's my comment. It's not really a question. It's just that's my comment because she already answered the question. She did. She just said, suck okay. it up and, you know, come in. All right. So that that's it. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much. All right. And we've got uh, Panky back again. Uh, Panky, you have another question for our guest, Agnes Gibney, who's running for Congress out of California District 31. We've got to turn California red again. Well, what's your comment or question? You know, Agnes is – Absolutely right on how she's reporting on the illegal immigrants. Did you know that illegals and refugees can attend a state college and pay Uh in-state tuition? My grandson coming from Missouri to Louisiana, he has to pay out-state tuition, which is double in-state tuition. Uh 
Another right. point. They talk about separating children from their parents. Well, when you have an adult show up at the border with a child, how do they know that that child is related to that adult? And there's been many cases where they use a, a children to get in because of the political wrangling. Oh, how awful it is to separate children from adults. They use the kid to get in. When the child gets in, they call a relative and they will send them all the way back on a plane to Guatemala where they can recycle and do it again with another adult. That's what's going on. And you talk about separating children from parents. Well, how about the family court system that goes on here in the United States where you have a lot of American citizens who are being separated from their children? Mm -hmm. It's just unfair. It, it is unfair. It is unfair, uh, Pinky, and I appreciate your comment. And uh, think about this. Those that commit crime in this country, they go to prison. They're not crying and screaming that now they're separated from their family. They don't get the luxury of taking their family to prison with them. It's a part of the process. When you invade a country like this caravan has done to our country, we need to find out who these people are. And you're right, uh, many, hundreds, thousands of those children did not belong to those parents, to those individuals coming across the border. And, uh, and sadly, a uh, couple of them were even left, five-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old in the middle of the desert, and they took off running and left the child because it's not their child. And children are continuously being recycled, and we need to stop that for the protection of those innocent children that are being exploited by cartels, by drug addicts, by criminals trying to even reenter our country who has warrants Standing warrants, outstanding warrants in our country. We need to stop that and protect those young children. Well, you know, one thing I got to say though is that there's two things: the uh, initiative that Trump signed today about human trafficking, which will help with these children's being abandoned. The other thing is, is now at the border, any adults coming across with a child, there's a DNA test to prove whether or not they're family or not, and it's been catching a lot of bogus families. A lot yes. of them. And I think they're saying something like only 30% coming across are actually family members, which is uh -huh. an extremely low number. So Trump has been doing stuff to do that. Agnes, you getting into Congress, you'll be able to help him with that. And I want to change the subject a little bit more because when we're starting to run out of time, we've been on immigration, even though it's a huge issue. Uh, you're a huge proponent for military readiness and veteran support. And for the longest time, we saw the VA was an absolute hellhole. And yes. now we're seeing the morale of veterans and the morale of our military being uplifted because of the Trump initiative. Yes. I, I believe uh, the veterans that fought uh, for our liberty, for our freedom, for our country, need to be honored uh, long after they come back home. And if they have PTSD or, or health issues or lost a limb, if nobody knows what it's like, go to a, a VA hospital and walk down the hallways to see the, the, the devastation, the tragedy that you see. These people, these poor men and women, have been abandoned uh, by, by our politicians. And I want to be a voice for them. I want to 
I want to be a voice for law enforcement. My husband is a retired deputy chief of police. And ever since the, the last uh, uh, administration, I won't even say his name to even dignify him, the morale in law enforcement has gotten so low, so bad, so many uh, police officers have been murdered in cold blood, attacked, disrespected because of the previous administration. I want to bring that respect back. I want to bring that uh, that uh, uh, security and safety for law enforcement, where people look up to uh, law enforcement, not just not to attack them like they like they are. And Second Amendment rights. My son was shot and killed. I am for our Second Amendment rights. Everybody should have the right to carry a gun, to own a gun. Even though my son was shot and killed, do not take my, my rights away because that's what they did in Europe. They took everybody's guns away and then went and killed millions of people because they had nothing to defend themselves from. I want to work for the working men and women of America. I want to put Americans first. I want to protect our freedom, our freedom of speech and religion that's constantly being attacked. I want to secure our borders absolutely no sanctuary make e-verify mandatory and enforce immigration laws make it mandatory that law enforcement can ask uh, somebody that they suspect to be here illegally and if they do not give the information their their name and uh, what have you their, their id then they turned over to federal government let them sort it out this will end really quick and much i'm for pro-choice Parents need to decide what education their children have. None of this government sex education that they're proposing and enforcing upon us children, our children. I'm pro-business and pro-jobs, but mainly I am pro-America first. Oh, amen for that, as we call it, the unhyphenated American. That's the problem that uh, Scott had mentioned, the victimization idea. Everyone suddenly is a victim, and no one takes personal responsibility for their own actions. And it's easier for the Democrats to get the votes when they divide us. You have Mm -hmm. black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Latino Americans, this American, that American. And you divide them into groups you can conquer. And then you offer them all these nice little tidbits where they have a special class now. So underneath the Obama administration with Loretta Lynch, oh, heaven forbid you say anything awful about the LBGT community. They are now a protected class of transgenders. You can't file a criminal charge against them if you get attacked in the bathroom because a male pretending to be a woman is in the bathroom because they're a protected class. That's got to go out the window. Stop you know, I, I don't have my child. I have two daughters left in this world. My only son, as you know, was murdered. I do not want my grand, I have one grandchild who's seven. I do not want him going to the bathroom and have uh, a transgender uh, go after him. If I had a little girl, I don't want a man going in my little girl's bathroom. I mean, that's just common sense. I am sorry. Uh, but, you know, God created us, created men and a woman. And, and you know, 
and God bless our president. Uh, He was my inspiration for running. I'm not a politician, but I'm willing to sacrifice my life, my family, uh, to go to D.C. to to be uh, uh, backing for for our president because he needs every help he can get in in Congress. And hopefully uh, people will visit my page and donate. Um, uh, uh, com. You can see my Facebook page Agnes Gibney for Congress And donate, please help me Get to D.C. so I can fight for you So I can fight for our country You don't have to live in my district But I want to help our president He is uh, 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 In November I had an interview On Fox and Friends And I said if I knew there was a bullet Coming towards President Trump I would shield his body with mine because we need him to do a lot more great things for our country. And I really mean that. We need President Trump four more years because what do you have to lose? He Look at the economy. Look at uh, everything he has done so far. And he would have done five times more had the Democrats not put their foot in front of him every step of the way. President well, Trump no, it, is the it, best thing in this country. Well, we have a little tongue-in-cheek from another radio host listening in, Vito Esposito. Uh, he's got a show, Mamma Mia, No Sharia, um, on Global Patriot Radio. A little tongue-in-cheek, he wrote, I take it Agnes has not gotten any campaign money from nasty Pelosi's house back. I'm glad you put your website out there, which is your name. Uh, people listening to the show, just click on the description. It'll take it directly to your website because you talk about a lot of different things on there, and one of them is term limits. And, and, and the question yeah. is, do you think Congress will ever actually vote to term limit themselves? Obviously, Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Nader and, and Schiff, probably not, because they want to protect their little cushion. But you know what? Maybe when somebody with integrity comes to uh, halls of Congress and is uh, confident enough to speak up, maybe others will follow and say, you know what, I like your ideas. I know alone I cannot do anything, but perhaps I can bring some integrity back to, uh, back to Congress because that's what's lacking in, in a huge way. And, uh, and maybe others will listen and say, you know what, I like your ideas, I like that. I, I think term of office should be mandatory. Of course, you know, the, the swamp is not going to want term limits because then they wouldn't have the cushion. Trust me, I'm 65 years old. I don't want to make a career out of politics. I'm retired. I could just be enjoying my home, uh, my birds outside, and my dog that I brought from Hungary legally with a pass, a pet passport and all the documentation that a dog needed to come in. But I'm doing this because I love this country. I believe in this country, and I need to, in my own conscience, do everything I can to give back to the country that I love. And I will not stop. I don't want to make a 20-year commitment. I don't. I want to just go in, help set the ground rules, help uh, pave the road a little bit, and let somebody else come behind me and and take care of it and continue. Uh, Because there's a lot of good patriots out there running for office. Aja Smith in Riverside is running. Um, uh, Eric uh, Weber in L.A. is running. 
two people that I have, uh, Tony Holly is, is running. There's a lot of people that I support, that I admire, and would be great in state senate or in Congress. I, I tell you, we need to get out there and help. Unfortunately, Democrats are pumping thousands and thousands of dollars into my opponent so he can fight me. So that's why I'm asking everybody to please donate. As you know, running a campaign is not cheap. Just to put a candidate statement in the ballot, it would have cost me $19,000 for the primary and money that I did not have, so I did not put one in there. But I have my heart. I'll give my life for this country. And and I ask people to support me and share my page, uh, you know, and help any way you can. Uh, Like my page and share. And and on Twitter, you can visit me on Twitter, Agnes underscore Gibbony. And uh, and follow me. You can Google my name and see many, many interviews I have had. Uh, A year ago, January 11th, I was on Hannity uh, with 11 other angel uh, families, moms and dads. I was sitting dead center in a red jacket. Google, uh, do a YouTube search and look at that uh, that clip. Um, I am fighting for us. I'm fighting for this country. I have no agenda other than I want to give my life to this country. Well, you know, uh, you have to send me uh, those lists of names and their websites that you just mentioned. I'll get a hold of them and get them to come on to the show. Just tell me Absolutely. who it is that you support that you feel be great to come on the show, and we'll give them as much support here as we can. Because what you. I'm seeing in the chat room, people, people Thank absolutely you. love you. Um, but we do have another question from Vito, which is a very good question, because we've got members of Congress that go there, and they have their nice career, or they spend you know four, six years. They walk out with these nice little perks, like free health care. They don't have to enter into Social Security or Medicare like everyone else does. They have their nice tip pension. Uh, would you be willing to work to uh, end that, those perks, and say, hey, listen, Absolutely. not only are we going to terminate you, Absolutely. I I know you didn't even have to finish the question. I'm so eager to answer. Absolutely. They should be on the same health care plan that everybody is on. And if they don't like it, then maybe they'll make a change for the better. Um, Absolutely. Look, here in California, our governor wants to give health care. Uh, to illegal aliens, which he already passed. So up to age 16, illegal aliens can get health care. And who's paying for this? We are. Then uh, now he wants to pass. I don't know if he passed already or not because I've been busy, so busy with my campaign. Um, he wants to give uh, health care to elderly illegal aliens. Where, where does it stop? Where does it stop? So you mean I worked my life, my husband worked, yeah, we, you know, uh, worked, we paid into the system. I'm on Medicare now because, you know, I'm 65, my husband's 65, so we are on Medicare. So our Medicare is going to decline in, in health care services because now we got another 10 million illegal aliens on it and the state can't afford it. No, this is an insanity. I I am sorry. And what happens when these elderly people need to go into a nursing facility, need assisted assisted living? 
it costs five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. Who's gonna pay for that? You and me? Uh, no, yes. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah. I wanna I wanna change the subject to education because um our children are being indoctrinated um uh-huh. in gov- government run schools. Uh, once you become a member of Congress, what would you do to um, try to reclaim our educational system back from uh, those on the left who had, have um, propagandized our children and brainwashed them? Well, I think, uh, number one, government should stay out of the business of raising your children and mine. They should stay out of the business of mandating what curriculum they're going to be teaching your kids in mine. And uh, I would end uh, the school education. I think that's a useless uh, uh, government office. They, they, they need to end that. Let the parents decide what education they want to provide for their children. I don't think the government should be meddling in your personal life with type of sexual education you want to teach your child or children. It should be up to each parent to teach their children as much as they want. Now, in California, I don't know if it's throughout the country or not, but in California, uh, years ago, I remember when my kids were in school, boys went to one classroom and girls went to another health class, health education class, they called it. And they would talk about, you know, different stuff that with boys and with girls and pregnancy and, and your monthly periods and so forth, health issues. That's okay. But when you put two, a boy and a girl together in a classroom with a male erect uh, plastic uh, penis so they can put condoms on it, what is the benefit of that? I tell you, I, I'm going to be arrested here in California because if I find out they're teaching this nonsense to my grandchild, I'm going to be in there and I'm going to raise so much heck that they're going to be calling the police on me because absolutely not. <laughs> I still would like, love to see these parents that try the sex change on these childs before they oh. even hit kindergarten. And those that they do before they even hit puberty, uh, yes, yeah, child abuse charges should be leveled against it because we're showing Absolutely. studies show that by the time the child reaches the age of eighteen, nineteen, they've already decided, you know, which way they flow, and the vast majority of them, ninety percent, determine that they are heterosexual, truly, and the rest uh-huh. either has some sort of a mental problem because of sexual abuse or really do have a dysphoria, and by the time right. you're twenty-seven, the human brain is finally sexually fully developed. So medically, you shouldn't have a sex change operation until you turned 27 and you've had the psychological screening like we used to have years ago that they stopped. You know, Uh this is an abuse of an entire society and our next guest is going to be talking about this. I tell you, we've got a powerhouse pack of ladies today with Jesse Jane Duff before you and now you. And the passion in your voice is, is so uplifting. And I'm hoping that you win because whatever we can do to help you, we're going to try to push you across the top and maybe even Thank try you. to get Trump out there to campaign for you. Oh, I would love that. I love President Trump. I I tell you, I he is such an incredible man. 
Uh, he's down to earth. I mean, compassionate. The very first time I met President Trump, he was campaigning here in California in Orange County, and I had we had these big posters of our children, and he we he was leaving, and we yelled, and Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, and he came back, and he's autographing our posters. And he looks at my son's poster. You, you, you can Google his picture. He, everybody says he looks like Tom Selleck. He's, he was a really good-looking kid, and, uh, and I'm proud to call him my son, proud to have been his mother. And uh, President Trump touched my hand very softly and said, I am so sorry. What a handsome man. Thank you. So sorry. Uh, he was your son? I said, yes. And he goes, oh, he just nodded. Oh, no. And then he kissed my son's picture. This is the kind of president we have he is i tell you i would give my life for him because he is uh, such an incredible human being that uh, these democrats these liberal democrats can't even walk in his footprints not even by a mile you know my husband and i were supposed to be down in mar-a-lago today at the football party but the uh, couple that was taking us down there uh she had a very bad accident and spent a little time in the hospital and the doctor mm-hmm. said you've got stitches on uh you are staying home you're not going anywhere <laughs> so I, I would have loved to have met him i had a chance to meet him a couple of times when he was up at the south carolina tea party coalition convention in the past years when he was running for president and he would show up on sunday but on sunday i pack up my radio equipment head back home I'm sorry, he'd show up Monday, the last day, Monday, and I would be packing my equipment to head back home because I had my tea party meeting on Monday night. So I, I, so I just, several chances I had to meet with him one-on-one, and, uh, well, that's the way the ball It would happen. Yeah, it would happen one of these <laughs> days, and when you do, you tell President Trump just how proud I am to call him my president. You know, he would I know who I am. There's a lot of people that say the same thing. Uh, his pastor, Paula White King, she says that whenever she's on the show. Um, Judge Jeanine Pirro, she says the same thing. And then Daphne Barak and her husband, Bill Ganofsky, states people that have known him for years all say uh-huh. the same thing. So what is it the left sees that we're missing? What is it they see that we're missing unless it's just pure hatred of the man? It's evil. It is. Their hatred, yeah, their hatred is so overwhelming that it's clouding their ability to reason and to see things clearly and to acknowledge the great things President has done. And and I think most of all, their hatred that Hillary, thank God, didn't win. Because if she would have won, we would have been a socialist country by now because President Trump interrupted their crooked, their devastating anti-American agenda. And thank God for that. And forever I'll be grateful to President Trump because the very first president I've ever voted for was Ronald Reagan when I became a U.S. citizen. And President Trump is the second president that I would say I'll give my life for you. Um, all the other one, the last one, gosh, what a disgrace. That was the biggest fraud perpetrated in our country. Well, I have to say, Ronald Reagan, um, I missed the primary when Jimmy Carter was running. because My birthday just fell like about three or four weeks outside of registration date. 
So I did not vote for Jimmy Carter the first time. I did vote for Ronald Reagan when he finally won. So, yeah, you and I <laughs> about the same age. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it's it's just amazing. Uh, it, it is amazing. And I, uh, like I said, if you ever see President Trump, tell him how proud I am. And I'm doing this. He's my inspiration for running for office uh, to have so he can have a voice in Congress in the House. Yeah, and the uh, the gentleman you're running against, uh, Pete Aguilar, I had pulled up his report card, and um, I love this prevent bill. Now, out of all the congressmen r- out there, his record is one of the lowest I have ever seen. Uh, he's only presented four bills, and one, in order to get passed, had to be tagged onto another one. He gets no one that co-sponsors any of his bills. He serves on just only two nondescript committees. Um, He pushed forward for this PREVENT Act, which, oh, I love this one. The Preventing Radical Extremist Violent Endeavors Now and Tomorrow, or PREVENT Act, would provide federal resources such as clinical social workers, psychologists, religious leaders, and law enforcement personnel to train local officials to prepare for and respond to threats by violent extremists and white nationalists. You know what he's referring to? Do you know what he's referring to probably on that, which is so redundant, it's just another waste of time. When we had the shooting in San Bernardino, uh, 14 people got shot up at that uh, building, 14 or 15 people. Um, And probably that's based on that. First of all, though that guy that did the shooting was already under the radar or FBI, so somebody dropped the ball somewhere, because why didn't they take uh, uh, things seriously when they investigated this guy? It was inefficient, and then, boom, the guy goes and, and shoots up a bunch of people having a Christmas party, uh, a work party. And uh, it was devastating. I have uh, someone that's very dear to me who owns a, a Dove white, uh, white Wing Ceremony. Uh, they, I ordered... 29 doves, one for each year of my son's life to be released at his funeral services. And unfortunately, their son was also murdered. And she would always tell me, Agnes, I don't know how you do it. How do you get up every day knowing your son was murdered? I said, I don't know. God gives me the strength. Uh, Somehow uh, he wants me to do He has a mission for me. And and I'm just following what God wants me to do. And uh, now... She said, I always wondered how you can do it, and now I really know how devastating really is because her son is six feet under, uh, was a, a victim of that shooting. So the, 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 Pete Aguilar, you know, I don't want to bash him because that's not my style, but uh, like I said, he hasn't done much for the community. He's absent in the community. He does a lot of coffees with Pete. Who cares about coffee with Pete? I, I want to see action. I want to see him going into uh, bad neighborhoods. I want to see, okay, what can we do here? What can we do for the homeless situation in San Bernardino, for instance? What can we do for the drug uh, uh, addiction here? What can, what has he done? You know, it, it's really, uh, yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> well, you know, people can find you on your website, which is your name, Agnes Gibby. G-I-B-B-O-N-E-Y dot com. Uh, 
when they're listening to the show page in the archives, they just have to click on the link on the show page, go directly to your website, and uh, give your campaign a hand. And as you said, you don't have to be a resident of the district to give a donation. And uh, look at Ted Cruz. He made it through his election cycle by getting donations of 5 and $10. Just as much as that can help push your campaign over. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. I would really appreciate any help, any support anybody can give me, uh, and just know that I am fighting for you. Because fighting well, for my district, for my you. state, I'm fighting for my country too. And thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be on your show. Oh, it is my pleasure. We'll have you back again. And uh, if you give me the information on those other candidates, I'd be very happy to reach out to them and invite them on also. Absolutely. I will do that today uh, just as soon as we get off the phone. All right. Take God care, Agnes. And have a great day. Thank you so much. Enjoy your God weekend. bless. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. We've got a, another exciting guest on. I enjoyed her book immensely. I want to welcome to the show for the first time Dr. Meg Meeker, the author of Raising a Strong Daughter on a Tox- in a Toxic Culture. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Meeker. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. I mean, I had, there's some people I have fun reading books, and then there's other books that you just end up plodding through. Uh, but I, as soon as I started picking up your book, you know, story after story, example after example of the toxic culture we live in and how we should be able to fight it and deal with it within our families is an amazing book. Everything you wrote, I ran through my head and go, uh-huh, yeah, I know that one. Uh-huh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I have yeah. friends just like that. <laughs> so um, being a little bit older, <laughs> I didn't have the Internet or social media or anything. We didn't have those things back then, and we didn't have cell phones. Matter of fact, right. uh, uh, it wasn't until years later that the pagers came out. So we didn't have all those things. So we were um, a little insulated from what toxicity is, but we still have yes. it. But what kids yes. face today is breathtaking. It it absolutely is. And really the the reason I wrote the book, I've written a number of other books, is that over the past six or seven years um, – you know, as a pediatrician, I have an online presence. Parents would write to me all the time and say, please help me with this. Please, what do I do? My daughter's in third grade dieting. Please, my daughter's on, you know, social media six hours a day. What do I do? You know, please, this, this you know, 18-year-old boy insists on taking my 14-year-old daughter out, and I'm scared. So there was really this sort of fear that, that a lot of parents had. And I said, you know, I really want to address it. Because even though we have all these bad influences coming at our kids, parents have so much power, you know, and and I think they need to know that. And they need to know that, you know, they can do this. Yeah, it's scary, but they can do it. So it really, yeah, I mean, the the, um, culture's terrible on our kids. And yet I wanted it to be a hopeful book to say, you know what, Um, if you do this and you do this, your your daughter's going to be pretty good. Well, you know, I love the book because Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture, 11 Steps to Keep Her Happy, Healthy, and Safe. And you start off the book in the introduction with quoting St. Paul in the Romans. And yes. I loved I loved this, this quote because, matter of fact, my pastor just the other day used it in a sermon. And it's 
the quote goes, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And this is exactly what the toxic culture is all about. Knowing what is right and knowing what feels good. What feels good may not, most of the time, is not right. Doing the right thing can really hurt. And this is what the book is all about. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right, and I love that quote because it's exactly me. I mean, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but there's this battle in my head, and I do what I don't want to do all the time. And, you know, I think that if that's true for us as adults, how much more true it would be for kids, you know, young girls. And I think that often parents approach their kids, particularly daughters, as though they're really more mature than they are. You know, a 16-year-old who looks, you know, like an adult woman is not an adult woman. She doesn't think like one. She doesn't have the judgment of one. And I think, yeah, that one of the big mistakes, you know, we parents make is to think, oh, she's okay. She's okay. She, You know, she's a good girl. She'd never have problems with this. Well, not necessarily because, again, the culture is hitting them pretty hard. And so, you know, even girls with strong family values or great parents, I mean, they're up against it. And so that's why we really need to be on our toes and be able to help our, our girls. You know, in today's society, peer pressure is a lot different than when I was growing up. It was always there. I mean, throughout yeah. history, there's always peer pressure. I mean, you go back to the first man and woman ever dating, there's peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. But yeah. It, with, in today's society... It's not just the kids in your neighborhood or the kids in school. It's now the social media. There's these faceless people who tell you, oh, this is what we feel is the right thing. You're a nerd or you're just too stupid to understand, so why should we even talk to you? And that forces the peer pressure to work even more. Yes, it absolutely does, and you're right. I think... You know, we now know that social media has some really, really harmful effects on girls as far as depression. And we can kind of see why, because girls are turning to social media for affirmation and feeling like, oh, if I get enough people paying attention to me, then I'm worth something. But it never delivers. And ultimately what ends up happening is somebody gets on and says something nasty that they never say to her face, um, that does sort of feel like a, a, a nameless, faceless person and does something that really hurts her. And so I think, you know, even things like social media, and parents say, well, my daughter loves it. She connects with her friends. Okay, but have her call her friends. Have her, have her friends over. Um, but social media is, is really tough on girls. And I, I think parents underestimate how tough it is. And that's why we sort of, say, oh, you know, what's the harm? It's not a big deal. You know, it's funny because, you know, there's so many examples you give in the book, but one of the things you point out is the importance of a two-family, a two-parent household, a mother and a father. And parents look at and deal with kids in different manners. And girls are talkative, and they want to sit down and they want to talk to their mom. And it's not Mm -hmm. as easy to sit down and talk to dad. No. Sometimes you don't realize (laughs) it, but dad can listen. But to us, mom's mom's the closest thing, the more nurturing of the two. So I want to talk to her. 
But here yeah. is where a problem a lot of parents make. They either are dismissive of what their daughter's trying to tell them, and I know how that feels because I talk down to mom every now and then. And next thing I know, she's telling everyone what I said. That doesn't work too well, mom. <laughs> that doesn't but I help. Still love her yeah. Really. <laughs> or they yeah. try to be their best friend. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, parents do it with the best intentions. You know, mothers want to be close to their girls. They want them to keep talking to them. Um, they want to know what friends they're with. And that's all well and good. However, you can do that as an adult because what ends up happening with girls whose mothers sort of insert themselves into her peer group and become like a peer to her, um, the girls end up not respecting her very much and so they don't confide in her very much. And they really, um, they really need direction. They need a mentor. And mom really is a mentor in a lot of ways to sort of teach a girl how to live and this kind of a thing. Um, but when a, a mom is acting more like the kid, uh, kids won't let her mentor them. And so we really need to sort of say, okay, I'm going to be my kid's parent until they're 21. You know, and they're 21 or 25, I can ha- be, we can be best friends for the rest of our lives, but not until then because it's really hard on daughters if moms act like a peer. Now, we need parents to be parents, to take responsibility exactly. and say, all right, fine. This is a child I brought into the world or a child I adopted or took as, as foster care. Now, I've got to be the adult in the room. And this is what gets me with today's TV shows. The adults are the stupid idiots and the kids are the yeah. smart ones. And that's oh, not how oh. life really works. Exactly. And that's all, that's all, you know, media made because it sells, you know, because kids acting like grown-ups and parents acting like idiots sells because kids go, oh, isn't that funny? Because a lot of that is targeted towards um, um, kids. Not, I mean, the shows are targeted to kids, not necessarily adults. But so there is this, there's this sense our kids watch that and they go, oh, you know, my mom and dad, what do they know? They're just kind of idiots because they eat up what they see um, on television. Well, that's where we parents need to kind of push back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, that may be TV, but we don't live in a TV show here. You know, we, we live at home here, and I'm telling you, it makes kids feel so much more secure um, when they know that, you're the smarter one, you're the wiser one, you're the one who'll take the heat, you know, you're the one who's the buck stops with, and it just gives them so much security. Kids who sort of act mouthy to their parents and, you know, like real snarky, um, they, they, don't, they don't end up being very happy at all. So, you know, that's where, and, and they really don't want to be that way. I mean, they don't want to be what they see on television. It's just that we need to teach them that really is not life. Well, it's, it's funny because there's a comment by Warp. He's got a couple of them in the, the chat room, and they're, they're salient points. You know, growing up, my parents had certain chores for us to do. You didn't get to do uh, the I watch TV. Uh, you didn't get to go outside to play with your friends. As a matter of fact, my girlfriend would come over to the house and help me do the chores so I can get out of the house yeah. faster. Yeah. The parents yeah. also yeah. taught you respect for your elders and dignity. It was, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, thank you, please. 
Yeah. Wash your face before you sit at the table. Say grace together as a family. And something you also address in the book, the importance of praying together, something yeah. that you really don't see too much. But somewhere along the way, between the 50s and 60s and the leap into the 70s and 80s, there was a whole generation that just dropped that completely. And there are now parents out there that never knew those things. They don't understand that if you have someone coming in a store directly behind you, hold the door for them. Exactly. You know, yeah. say yeah. please and yeah. thank you. Exactly. We have a whole and generation I, does not know how to teach their kids that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think it, w- it was interesting because uh, my son said to me years ago, he's he's 29 now, but when he was in high school um, and he was at a Christian school, he opened the door for a girl and she got so nasty with him. And he said, Mom, it just took me by surprise. I was just trying to be nice. And I said, you know what? That's the kind of girl you never want to date, <laughs> you know, because she's really got a chip on her shoulder. You know, I said, just stay away. And he said, well, you didn't need to tell me that because it really bothered him. You know, here he was just trying to be a nice guy. And, um, and you know, and it, it sort of bit him in the back. But I said, you know what, don't let it discourage you because there are a lot of women out there, girls out there, who like that. They like um, a man to act like, you know, a, a gentleman. And so, you know, don't worry about it. So, you know, he just sort of picked himself up and went on off. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I think that we need to teach kids not only how to respect elders and respect others, but when we do that, we teach them how to respect themselves. And that's what kids just don't have now. They don't have any sense of self-respect because they're not taught how to respect anybody else. And it it really, it's really hard for kids. And that's what parents think. Well, I just want my kid to have sort of the freedom to be who they are and do what they want. But, you know, it doesn't turn out very well because kids don't know. That's why parents need to roll up their sleeves and be in there and teach these kids how to live a good life. Well, the children don't understand there are boundaries. And as I was mentioning, you know, the social networks, you know, in today's age, uh, a two-year-old knows how to work the smartphone better than I do. Uh, Yeah, for sure. All their electronic they got they're buried in the electronic devices and their heads yeah. are down in these things almost 24/7. You see a family sitting at dinner in a restaurant, the parents are on the devices, the kids are on the devices yeah. and no one is talking to each nobody's other. Nobody's talking. And and nobody's looking and, at each other. No one's making eye contact. Yeah. I had a pastor come to my house, and he was with the youth ministry, and he was uh, visiting us because my husband had been in the hospital for a month and a half, and he was going to be on a feeding tube for another year and a half. But he was coming here just to pray with us and, you know, to see if we needed anything. He would have had some members of the youth ministry come to help us. And he's saying, I'm getting kids in there. They cannot shake your hand. They don't know how to do that. They cannot look you directly in the eye. They have no idea how to dress for a job interview, oh, and yeah. they don't even know they don't even know how to apply for a job. I can't tell you how many times I go into a supermarket and I see the parent at the kiosk filling out the application for the child who's wearing <sighs> checkered shorts yeah. and flip flops. Right, right. Ex- yeah, exactly. It, it's really it's really remarkable, and that's another thing. You know, parents. 
um, you know, rather than making their kids do things on their own and teaching them how to be a responsible adult, they say, well, you know, it's just so much easier if I do it myself, so I'm going to do it myself. But now we have kids who just won't leave home at 25. Well, I wonder why. You know, they just, they just think, well, why should I have to do that? I mean, somebody's always going to do it if I don't do it. And then, and I, and, but I, I also think there's a sense where a lot of parents, particularly moms, feel like they have to be needed by their kids. And so they kind of keep doing a lot of stuff for their kids because they like that sense of, gee, you need me, gee, you need me. But it's crippling for kids, particularly boys, when they're grown. Helicopter moms. I got a relative like that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you do. I mean, oh, you poor thing. She was filling out her daughter's college applications, and I'm remembering back to the day when I did that. Um, my father picked up the mail, looked at it, and says, "There's mail for you, Anne." He hands me a bunch of envelopes. It was the college applications and loan applications and grant applications, of which I was eligible for none of that. Um, uh-huh. I had to work two and three jobs to put myself through college, but he made sure mm. I sat down, I filled out the forms. And by parents living by example, doing something like that, it gives the child an understanding that they have to be responsible for themselves. And the problem yeah. with our disposable electronic society is that there's no human interaction. As human beings, we crave closeness of another human being, the physical touch. Yeah. Very visual. We have to see how the body acts and reacts. So if you're on a, a phone or a smart device up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the latest flavor of the month is, there's no human interaction. A, a right. Emoji is not going to tell you what that person is thinking in, and about or if they're really interested in the subject because you can't physically see them, touch them, talk to them. Exactly. And I think that's honestly, we see a lot of depression, anxiety in kids. And I really believe that's part of it because we're humans are made for relationship. We're made to um, be with one another and converse with one another and attach to one another and show affection. And when you're when you're sitting in a room all by yourself and you've got a screen in front of you, it doesn't matter. Um, what's going on on the other end of the screen, um, it, it's not real. It, it just isn't real, and I think it really handicaps kids. And I think about what your father did. Aren't you glad your father was tough enough to do what he did? Because that made you feel so good about yourself. Oh, I borrowed $5 from my girlfriend and I to go out one night, <laughs> and if I didn't pay him back the next payday, he's going, uh, and come here, you owe me 5 where, bucks, my money? don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but, exactly. but that's but so good for you. Yeah, it made you a strong yeah. woman. Yeah. I would like to say you mentioned in the book. Oh, I'm sorry. Let, let me finish this one thought through because one of the things you say okay. in the book is that the parents are so involved in making sure that their children succeed and achieve yeah. that they take them to like ballet and soccer instead of finding out what the child is interested in, what their skills and talents yeah. are. And nurturing them, not pushing them. Yeah. You know, we have children that are bound to fail. Yeah. Yes. And I think that the the message the kids get in the way that makes them feel is that if I want my parents' attention, 
I better jump through these hoops. I better do gymnastics. I better do the football. I better do the swimming. And I can't tell you how many kids graduate high school or go off to college, whatever, and they say, you know, I really don't want to be running track anymore, but here's the thing. I'm afraid if I give up, my parents aren't going to really pay any attention to me, and or even are they going to love me? Now, parents maybe don't mean to communicate that, but that's how the kid reads it. And that's why it can be really, really um, hard for kids is they're, they're taught how to perform to get attention rather than just how to be, you know, and just we accept them and love them for who they are. I also think that one of the I also think that one of the the problems we have with children today as far as being antisocial is that those who play video games, the allure of some of these video games are so powerful, it's almost like these kids are stepping down into one of those Alice in Wonderland holes, you know, and where everything is surreal, or as yeah. we call it, um, virtual. And yeah. most of them are lost in this world, and mm-hmm. they don't really feel they have a need for the real world. And that's I what I'm afraid yeah. of, that they will finally retreat into a virtual world and yeah. try their best to leave the real world behind. You know, it's a great point, and, and we see that. You know, I mean, there, there are boys out there who are playing, you know, eight, ten hours a day of video games. And after a while, well, first of all, it, we do know it changes their brain anatomy. It really actually the wiring changes. But you're right, they get so immersed in it, they have difficulty telling what's real and what isn't. And I'm convinced, um, you know, that some of the violence in the culture, school shootings or whatever, they see this violence over and over and over. I mean, they're training themselves to be violent people. And, of course, that's not the only reason, but it, it, it doesn't have positive effects on people. And I love what you said about Alice in Wonderland going down the hole. That's exactly what's happening to them. And so that's why I think parents need to really say, I need to help my son or daughter get control of their screen time. I wrote a whole chapter on screens because they're, they're not always healthy. I mean, screens are going to be here. Video games are going to be here. But you can choose decent video games for your kids to play. They don't all have to be, you know, Grand Theft Auto kinds of things. Um, but you're right. It, 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 it helps kids feel lost because they are, whenever you're not in a real world and you spend more time in a fake world, you are lost. You know, one of the other things you write about, which is really disturbing, our last guest who's running the Congress mentioned this, is the sexualization of our children at such a young age. And with the invasion of the LBGTQXYZLMOP community, you know, you <laughs> yeah. have children going into uh, uh, sexual uh, uh, surgeries and chemicals they're giving to, oh. and they're not even in kindergarten yet. You have that oh, yeah. famous yeah. Texas of the, uh, case, twin boys. One is a girl and one is a No, they're boys. And until that child goes through puberty, graduates high school, he or she is not even being close to being sexually mature until they're in their 20s. New England Journal of of Medicine wrote about this a number of years ago. And in that article, I read the age is maximum up to 27 years. And you write in your book, mid-20s. You know, you make bad decisions 
because your brain has not been fully wired yet. And yeah. all these these social pressures, this toxicity of feminism is, is creating a disaster because the child's brain, again, is not developing. Between peer pressure, between the social networks, between the electronic devices, and now you throw in the feminism and sexuality, how is a child even going to survive in today's world? Right. You know, exactly. It's, um, I say, you know, we've kind of normalized crazy, but the whole gender dysphoria, transgender thing, um, you know, and I get a lot of flack from it, but this is really what it is. A lot of it's a fad. And it's a very, very serious and sad fad because we all know it because 10 years ago, we never heard of it. And it wasn't because these kids were in the closet and they weren't coming out and so forth. Um, no, I mean, true transgender is extremely rare, extremely rare. But what we're seeing now is a lot of kids going, you know, I'm not very happy. I really feel like I'm a boy more than a girl. And I've been feeling that way for a couple of years. Um, this is really going to make my life happy. And unfortunately, they find a doctor There are only a handful of doctors in the country who will do it, who will actually start pumping them full of hormones and do surgery. What what parents don't, maybe they do realize it. I don't know. When you transition a child from a girl to a boy or a boy to a girl, they become infertile. They can never have kids. And I sat with a mom recently and was talking. Her daughter wanted to be a boy. And I said, do you, and she was maybe 11, do you understand She'll never have kids. And the mother looked at me and she goes, that's not a problem. She doesn't want them. And I said, at 11. 11. 11. But the mother said that, and I'll be honest, if I didn't have the mother in the room, I could have really had a good conversation with the girl. Many of this is driven by parents who want to be the cool, open parent. You hear people in Hollywood who are saying, I'm going to let my child choose their gender. And I feel like then you're going to have a really messed up kid because kids don't know what they want for dinner, let alone if they should have surgery and hormones pumped into them. So why in the world should we ever think that a young kid, you know, under their mid-20s, could could understand the long-term um, effects of this. They can't. So I, honestly, I think it's malpractice. I think that in another 20 years, we're going to have a lot of lawsuits where kids are going to come back to their parents and say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Why did you allow me to go through this? Now I can't have a family. Now I can't have kids. And you didn't stop this whole process. You know, mark my words, because the consequences are really serious of this. No, we've had on the show Walter Heyer, and he has a book out called Sex Change Regret and a website called Sex Change Regret. He actually lived as a woman and then reconverted oh. back to a man. And he's, he actually now counsels a lot of transgenders, and the statistics he comes up with is phenomenal. We've got somewhere between 90 to 95 regretting the sex change and the high instances of alcohol, drug abuse, suicides, uh, massive depression. You know, it, it is, it's going to be a wave that hits this nation and other nations like we never will see. It, 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 you think yes. the opioid epi- epidemic is something? 
wait until oh, this new yeah. wave hits. And they're going to be yeah. saying, well, what the heck did you just do to me? And when you yes. have young children, yeah. children that are being put on these hormones before they even hit puberty, and we don't even know the effects of these hormones have on exactly. the children. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, what, honestly, I really believe it's malpractice because physicians are usually, I mean, pride themselves on being able to diagnose, oh, sorry, being able to diagnose a problem and then knowing with 95% certainty because the, the, the treatment's been tested and tested and tested and tested, that the outcome is going to be good. This is the first case um, of any uh, quote-unquote illness where physicians are offering a treatment they don't even know is going to help people. And it's, it would be like me, somebody coming in and say, oh, I have pneumonia. And I go, okay, well, let me, let me, let me give a whirl on this antibiotic. I don't know if it's going to help, but good luck. You'd never do that. But, but we have a situation where we're, we're implementing a very, very serious treatment plan that we don't know if it's going to work. We have good evidence that it's going to harm somebody. And we most of the time don't even have the diagnosis correct. So on many levels as a physician, it's just wrong. I, I mean, but I, but I really do think, I mean, most physicians, 90 plus percent of physicians in the country would never, would never sanction this kind of thing and certainly would never give any treatment like this. Now, and the worst part is, is that when Walt talks about this in the book, what he went through, he goes, you know, it used to be in the 1950s when they finally came out with this type of surgery, you had to go through a whole battery of psychological exams yeah. back and forth until they decide that, yeah, you are psychologically healthy enough to understand that this isn't a genuine dysphoria. But now when yeah. he went through it, uh, you went and saw the psychiatrist. You told him you felt like you were a woman. And they'll write out a little prescription to say, all right, see this doctor to schedule your surgery. That's it? Yeah. That's it? Yeah. That's yeah. all you're going to do? Yeah. And this is what yeah. is happening in today's society. As you call yeah. it malpractice, I call it physical abuse. Child abuse and well, physical and emotional abuse, which is what it, it is. is. And yeah. it, 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 society has become so toxic. And another thing mm-hmm. you talk about in the book is victim, victimization, which is why all these things that they're doing to our kids and to us today work. Because suddenly we're all victims. You don't understand me because I, I'm, I'm in a girl's body, but I, I'm a boy. You don't understand yeah. me uh, because parents are too stupid. You know, I, I, because you don't know anything you're doing. I'm the victim here. And as you go through each one of these segments, everyone feels themselves as a victim, not as a person of worth. And this is right. where the most important part of the book comes together, is that we've got to teach children today of their own self-worth and of the individual next to them, the other individual, a stranger, a friend, whoever, they have an equal worth to you. You may not have the equal talent, but God gave you to live in his image, and he equally loves both of you. Someone loves you out there, and it's God. Exactly. And he doesn't make mistakes. He made you just the way he meant to make you. And um, so, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think that um, we need to reiterate that to kids. And 
you know, at least if, if kids are feeling, you know, life is hard, no one understands me, this and this and this, okay, we'll, we'll ride it out with them, stick with them, stay with them, tell them, okay, say, what can you do? What can you take charge of? But don't lead them to believe that their problems are going to be solved by changing their sex because they're not solved. And to sort of tell a kid, well, yeah, this will make you better, it's just the lie of all lies. And I, and I just think it's, it's very cruel to do to kids. Yeah, as well as the sexualization of kids, because now these kids feel like they have no self-worth, and their peers are saying, well, you know, everyone hooks up. But girls yep. are wired completely different than boys. You know, a girl could say, oh, it's no big deal, one-night stand, but when she has that breakup with that guy after that one-night stand or the one-week affair, a depression sets in because to a woman, a girl, there is an emotional attachment to having sex. Where a boy can just yes. brush it off and go, oh, another conquest, on with the next. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, to assume but, – but then again, women have fought for this, this sort of – right to be perceived as um, like men, uh, similar to men, not just equal in value to men. And so they believe, uh, some feminists believe, you know, we have the absolute ability um, to behave like men and have these sexual conquests and walk away and be just fine. But they can't, you know. Um, and, and so I think that's terribly unfair to girls to lead them to believe that they can when they really can't. Now, how can you value yourself if you turn around and do that to your body? Saying, well, well if he's, I don't care. It's no big deal. Where is the respect for you as an individual? Where is that bonding between two people? Because when you are in a relationship and it becomes sexual, there should be a point to it. It should be a deeper personal relationship leading to a lifelong commitment between yes. two individuals that actually love each other. And, you know, we see the highest divorce rates ever. And we saw them climbing in the 70s with the rise of feminism. Marriages yeah. were easy. You know, if it's not good enough, have a quickie divorce. You know, you get pregnant, right. you don't want the baby. Oh, Roe v. Wade passed. So there goes yeah. that, that zygote. No, that is yeah. a preborn child worthy of yeah. respect. So if you can't respect the child in the womb, how are you going to respect the adult woman outside it? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that I will say to people who say, well, you know, I would never have an abortion, but it's okay for other people. Or, you know, abortion's good. Every woman has a right. I say, have you ever seen one? Have you ever seen part of a leg come out and a crushed skull come out? Have you seen that? Because when you make it a reality for people, it, it, it really is sobering, and many of them will go, well, okay. Because I think that really is a, is a um, that changes minds. But, uh, but it's not, abortion isn't a philosophy, it's a reality. And people need to understand that this is exactly what happens. Are you okay with this happening? And I think if we pushed more people, e even though the, uh, they're on the fence, they might go, well, okay. Um, but we don't, we don't treat it as that. We treat it as, you know, not a human being and not death of a life. It's a philosophy and an idea. Yeah, my body, my choice. 
And when I was at the inauguration, we were leaving to come home, and we got stuck right smack in the middle of that women's march. And my listeners know I've told this story several times. One woman was carrying the sign, my body, my choice, with a little girl walking with her and a reverend marching with her. And I approached that reverend, and my girlfriend thought we were going to get into a fight. And I said, how dare you? How dare you not listen to the Bible and the sanctity of life? How dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself. By then, my girlfriend's grabbing me going, we're going to get beat up. But we have to speak out. Look at the the march. But we have have to to speak out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we we have to speak out, and I think one of the re, one of the ways people try to keep us silent is by threatening to bully us or to this kind of a thing. But we have to speak out on behalf of kids because we're talking about babies, and in my book, I'm talking about daughters of all ages, and they can't they can't stand up for themselves. They can't articulate. You know, a 13 year old girl can't say oh, well, you know, one day when I'm married, I really want to have three kids or two kids, and I'd like to have this. She has no idea. So she can't articulate it. So we adults have to be willing to do that for kids, you know, no matter what people are going to say to us. And I, oh, my heavens, and I'm sure you've had it too. I've had people say horrible things. But I say, well, I don't care. I just, you know, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. Well, it's funny because you said, you know, a young child of 11 really can't make a decision. Uh, at the age of 11, my decision happened to be I wanted to become a nun. And I then turned oh. 13 and I discovered boys. Oh, <laughs> but that went that, yeah. Growing up, <laughs> I, I'm on my second marriage, 27 years yeah. happily married. Uh, oh. But when I, 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 growing up, I had an older brother. And if I went by today's standards of the LBG community, um, when my brother, my father carved him in a little rifle, I wanted a rifle. He made him a skateboard. I wanted a skateboard. He made him a slingshot or a bow and arrow. I wanted that. But, you know, I played with his G.I. Joe. I played with his his little army guys. We played war. And if I went by today's standards, I would have had a sex change into a boy. Yes. Yes, exactly. And aren't you grateful that you didn't? And it wasn't something that people did then. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's it's really sad because that's very common. It's very common for girls to identify with boys or boys to identify with girls at some period in their lives. You know, they just kind of go through a phase, and um, and and but then they come out of it. But if you have adults around you going, oh, here you are. You know, we need to change your sex. Um, it, it's just a, it's it's an abusive thing to do to a child. You know, but we need two healthy adults in the room to raise that child properly. Two adults to think, and your book is a good way to lay it out. And I, I looked at a lot of what was you wrote about the book, and it's things my parents, most of it they did correct. You know, they waited to God. see what each one of us wanted. And early on, my father saw that I had interests in woodworking and electricity and cars and things like that. But my mother also saw the nurturing side where I would play with the dolls. And we had a pet dog, and my brother would tease the heck out of the dog. And one day the dog bit my brother so badly, ripped the pants off the back of his butt, and my parents gave the dog away. And I said, why would you give the dog away? Give Jeffrey away. (laughs) But they saw the nurturing (laughs) nature. They didn't reverse it. 
But they yeah. saw it, and she yeah. saw oh, that I enjoyed cooking and baking and, and sewing. Yeah. She saw that I had these talents. So I was all yeah. girl, but I was also yeah. girl enough to realize that I had talents in other areas that will take me far in life. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think what a, what a great service we do to girls by, say, you know, embrace being a woman um, and, and enjoy being a woman and love being a woman and teach them how, how to feel really good about themselves, but also say, you know what, you, you don't have limitations. People tell you you have limitations, but you don't have limitations as a woman because really by saying you're a woman, you want to be a man, you're really rejecting womanhood. And you're saying, I don't like that, I hate it, um, turn away from it, which means you hate yourself and you hate the way God made you. And having a sex change just affirms all that. And, and that's not what we want to affirm to kids. You know, we want to affirm to them that they're loved just the way they are and the way they're created. And one of the things you stress is finding faith. Because a lot of people mm-hmm. that you deal with, a lot of kids you deal with, have not been taught about the Bible, about Christ and about God's love for us. Because I saw story after story, like, well, who loves you? And it's, well, maybe my mom does. Uh, Maybe grandma might. And then you say, well, what about God? And bringing that to a child and bringing a child, often young adults, into faith gives them an understanding that there is a higher purpose in life, not just for us, but for everyone, and to embrace that. And you give also good uh, ideas on how to find faith, books to read, certain uh, other philosophers and authors to look into. And I found that very interesting. Thank you, I, because I really do uh, believe that, that kids, if they don't have a faith, they're not, they're not grounded. They, they're not standing on solid ground, and they know it, and they feel insecure, they feel wobbly, uh, they don't know what's around the next corner, and really they don't know who they are. Um, they don't know why they're here. They don't know why they're alive. And, and it's true. Even five, six, seven-year-old kids get that. I mean, they wonder, well, why am I here? And why would you love me? And um, did I just come from nowhere? And, um, you know, what am I worth? What's my significance? And so many kids don't know that. And really, only having a faith in God teaches you that. Because you can say to them, you know, you're not an accident. You just didn't sort of come because, you know, mom and dad decided just, oh, we want to have a kid. But God created you for a very special reason and purpose. And you have incredible value in his eyes. And we're going to teach you about him and how he's going to help you through life. Because we do know that girls who have a faith, a Christian faith, um, are less likely to be depressed and anxious. They're more likely to do better in school, less likely to get involved in sex, drugs, and alcohol. I mean, across the board, there's so many um, parts of a girl's life that are deeply influenced um, in a very positive way by having a faith in God. And that's why I just felt it was so important that I really needed to write about it in the book. Yeah, and we had mentioned victimization early on. I remember you are for the past guest, but we've been talking a lot, a lot about that today. Um, but one of the things is to teach the young woman, the girl growing up, that she can be a strong individual. She doesn't have to be a victim. 
and then have the parents help her walk through situations that she may feel bad about and then find her strength through there. Yes. Yes, because I think that when we, you know, now everybody talks about microaggression and don't say this to me, don't say this to me. If you do, I'm going to make sure you get kicked out of college, sort of. But I think that that makes kids so weak, um, and it makes them so self-centered. But if when kids are having an issue or a difficulty, rather than say to them, oh, I'm so sorry, poor you, you say, okay, it's difficult. What can you do now? How can you respond? Because, okay, you've got a bully at school. What can you do? What can we do? Rather than, oh, this is terrible, and oh, feel sad for me, and it's, you know, no, let's move from being stuck into a proactive manner and use your strengths, you know, intellectual, emotional, whatever, to, to move forward in this. And that's how you really teach young women to be strong and not feel like, you know, they're a victim of the world. And I think that, um, or they're a victim and everybody else is at fault, therefore they can't like anybody, particularly men, because they're mean to them or they're awful to them. You know, that is such a destructive thing to do to girls and a woman. It, it, it takes all of the power or strength out of her. It, it, it sort of just turns her into a waif. And that's the last thing we want to do with young girls. We want to turn them into being strong. It's funny because I love the chapter about mean girls because I remember going oh, yeah. back to my um, high school union uh, about many years ago. Um, and when I was in high school, I, I was a petite little thing. And because I was one of the smallest in the class, of course, you know, the smallest in the class is going to get, you know, bullied and pushed around, you know, pushed into the locker, give me your lunch money. And I got to sure. have a reputation of a scrapper. So after a while, I was like, okay. uh, if you try something, <laughs> you better yeah. be smart about it because she's going to come back at you. <laughs> or you better yeah. think yeah. twice. And yeah. I remember yeah. one instance, I was in the locker room and they thought they were going to get the smarter end of me. And they tossed mm-hmm. a uh, aerosol can over the top of the lockers, which hit me smack in the top of the head <gasps> and actually knocked me onto oh. the floor. Oh. And here I am, half-dressed, and they came walking around thinking that, you know, I probably ducked and hid, and I came up off the floor. And I don't remember if you remember <sighs> the platform shoes with the big heels. Yes, of I course. I had one yes. inch tan, and I said, come at me. And they started to take a yes. step back, and I saw the fear in their eyes. And I laughed, yeah. and I yeah. said, you know what? You're not even worth my time, and I turned my back on them. I saw the same girls at my high school reunion. My girlfriend and I walked up to them, and we actually laughed in their face. and goes, we were afraid of you? Look at you. You're nothing. Oh, look <laughs> at you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's the mind of a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. So rather than, you know, rather than cower and run away and complain to your mom that these kids threw a can at you, you you take your shoe off and you go after them. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the way it should be. Yeah, stand up for yourself. Yeah. Well, if you remember those shoes, they were heavy. <laughs> they were. Nice yes. weapons to wield. <laughs> yes, they were. They were. They were. They were. Um, yeah, they were serious shoes. I'm amazed people didn't fall <laughs> off them more more readily than I think we did. Yes. And you heard someone coming down the stairs at them. Oh, my goodness. The second my mom came down the stairs, we knew. Here comes mom. Here she comes. That's oh, right. Clunk, clunk, yeah. clunk. That's right. Yeah. 
Oh, that's funny. There are so many good stories and so much good advice in this book, Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. Um, it's 11 Steps uh, to Keep Her Happy, Healthy, and Safe. And it's broken down to very simply 11 different chapters and subtitles in there to help you understand. And you take people step by step, and you have cases in there. So, well, this child came, and this is what we did, and this is how the situation ended up. You didn't always have 100% success, and there were times you wish you could have done more, but you also have a parent to deal with that can block your efforts. And I think the important thing in the book is trying to tell parents, stop it. Take a look at what your daughter's going through. Let's find a way out of this. Yes. And learn to look at life through your child's perspective, not your own. You know, for instance, when I saw this uh, this 11-year-old and her mother, and her mother piped in, she won't want to have kids. Well, wait a minute. Let's look th- through life as an 11-year-old. She has no idea what she wants to do tomorrow, let alone in 10 years or 20 years. So you can't speak for her. You've got to understand she's a child, and her story isn't written. And, you know, you need to just um, treat her that way. And you know, a lot of times, yeah, I, I, I realized many years ago that if I really wanted to help kids, I had to help their parents. Um, because if I could get their parents on board with another a number of things, then I didn't have to worry about the kids at all. So, you know, that's really why I work very, very hard to um, help parents. And I have an online community called Meeker Parenting Community where we just go through this kind of stuff. And we I answer questions and I do teaching things because – there's so much help that parents need because it's it's really it's there are many places that are tough for parents to navigate but i really know that if 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 parents will just sort of be willing to learn and be willing to sort of open up and see life through their kids eyes a little bit they can just by tweaking some things they can be really good parents one of the things you mentioned really briefly, we're down to our last eight minutes here. I just wanted to touch upon, you just kind of gently went through extended family. And I saw that, you know, in certain places uh, you mentioned about grandparents or an aunt. Uh, but I would say having extended family, such as grandparents, active in the child's life, I think is equally important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think that you know god intended us to to live in um multicultural multi-generational families so that we had the influence of older people and then our parents and um and and hopefully great grandparents but you know usually we don't get that privilege but you're absolutely right because each um generation has something very different to offer um you know grandparents can often a perspective that parents can't grandparents can give attention and time that parents can't give because when we're with our grandkids all we do is focus on that grandkid you know we're not trying to do this and trying to clean the kitchen we're just you know what i have them they're here i'm going to enjoy them so they get some very different things from grandparents than from their parents and also i think it's important that grandparents can support what parents are doing. You know, if if a grandparent believes that their child is doing, you know, making the right rules or the right decisions, they can stand behind the parent so that when the child says, hey, I want to do that, 
you have two different generations sort of saying, Mm-mm, not a good idea. And, and that really gives a, a lot of strength to what the parents are trying to do and, you know, and credibility in the child's eyes. So you're absolutely right. I, I think that we, we really were not intended to live scattered around the world like a lot of people do with you know, grandparents in one country and parents over here and kids there. It, it's just so, so fractured, and we lose out when we're not with um, our immediate families and certainly um, extended families. Well, Dr. Dr. Meg Meeker, uh, thank you for joining us. We've got our six minutes left, sweetie. I want to thank you (laughs) for joining us. There's so much we could talk about. I mean, we'll probably go on for another hour, and probably Curtis will get her back on. uh, (laughs) Easily. Easily, Curtis. So I promise, faith is thought. Well, I won't cut you off next time. (laughs) But you both (laughs) are raising a strong daughter in a toxic culture, 11 Steps to Keep Her Happy, Healthy, and Safe. And your website is your last name, Meeker, M-E-E-K-E-R, MeekerParenting.com, where parents can reach out to you and you can give them a helping hand telling them to get this book and you can work with them. God bless you for the hard work you do, Dr. Meeker. Thank you so much, and God bless you and your your endeavors with your show. It's a wonderful show. Thank you so very much. Tell your agent so I get more bookings. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. Check out Dr. Meg Meeker, meekerparenting.com. Curtis, we're down to our last five minutes, and we already have everyone booked up for next week. There is a guy out there by the name of Martin Gregg. He is a comic book author. He's got a new comic book out there called Little Adam Shit, S-C-H-I-T-T. <laughs> it's a great. Um, also, Dylan okay. Howard has a new book out. And his new book out is Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tale. And then we have a friend of the show, Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson, who has announced his running for Congress for California District 7. He's got one up wow. going into the primary. Labels himself a progressive Republican. And I told uh, Buzz that we got to put a little whoop <clears throat> on him. So, <laughs> a little, you know, whoop. Progressive you know, whoop. Republican. That's an oxymoron. So I want to thank everyone for joining us up in the chat room as well as over on Facebook. As I said, I will have the show up on YouTube a little bit later on this afternoon or tonight. So that's about all we got for today, Curtis. Um, And send me an email. Let me know what dates you'll miss next month so we can fill that in. Again, it's been a good show. But I'll be here next Friday. I'll be here next Friday. Well, I'm going to leave everyone with Gary Pecorella. His song, Save America. So until then, I say good night, God bless, and have a blessed weekend.